Superman returns again, Ethan Hawke and the Rugrats complete a trilogy, and the unforgettable tale of Billy and the Clotosaurus. This week on 30-20-10. Hello everyone and welcome to 30-20-10, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine. And I'm rushing through the intro because these episodes have been long already, and this this is poised to be the longest episode of all time. Uh, we have, I think, for our generation, the biggest movie in history is out this week, and we have a lot to talk about and a special guest to talk about it with. So stay tuned for that. Uh, hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, and I also have... Channing Tatum in a bunch of bondage gear to be my gimp uh, love slave after the apocalypse, but it is a really funny story. I'll tell it later. <laughs> and who else is with us? And I'm J.R. Rawls and synchronized swatches. Yes. Uh, please. Please. I know just because this is a very, such an important event, I feel like nothing else matters uh, at least this week or especially in this segment. Uh, we're a show that go- takes you through the anniversaries and milestones of mostly pop culture across three decades within a single week. So what happened 30, 20, and 10 years ago? This week we'll be discussing June 9th through the 15th. Uh, there's a big movie coming out in just a few seconds, so I won't prolong it. Patreon.com slash time is how you support us. We've got new episodes for you coming up about Twilight Zone and... Uh, if you want more Spielberg talk, hint, hint, for the next four seconds. Uh, and uh, six, new sick of Star Wars, 80s in depth. Matt and I talked about Tokyo Disneyland and a bunch of a bunch of other stuff, other, Mother Minutia, but free shows there. Five bucks. Give us five bucks or one or a thousand. You can do all that, but we encourage you to do five. Price of a cup of coffee. Patreon.com slash later time. Extra shit. Woo! June 9th through the 15th, beginning as we always do in 1993. Oh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is nominated to the president, uh, United States Supreme Court by President Bill Clinton. And I have to keep reminding myself, this is good news, not something you need to be sad about 28 no. years later. No, this was good news. Uh, and, and here's yes. the fun part. OK, first of all, she's replacing Byron White, who was supposed to be a moderate who but was kind of conservative on some things like he voted against Roe and he voted against getting rid of sodomy laws. Also, he was in the NFL in 1938. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. Interesting fucking guy. But he <laughs> so was he... enough of a moderate that he waited for after the election to resign. He decided to retire. So he let whoever's going to win. They get to they get to name my successor. And Clinton, you know, the show is about how woman. different the decades are. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. So Clinton. Clinton picks only the second woman, only the, mm-hmm. the second Jew, I think. There hadn't been a Jew on the Supreme Court for like 40 years because uh, we rule the world, everyone. Uh, picks Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is considered a moderate. You fools! <laughs> and, and who I want to say is an absolutely amazing person, but I am profoundly mad with how her life ended and yes. the things that ended for all of us by... It's not her fault. It's it's the bad people's it's, fault. It's very disappointing. But she was, uh, I mean, she she was a moderate on most things except for gender equality, where she was mm. obviously a badass. But a badass, she had argued multiple cases in front of the Supreme Court. But mm. she was a badass, showing how gender equality benefited men. Yes, uh, it's an important thing to do. Progressives, I try and do it whenever yeah. I can. Here's how yeah, all these like things her, benefit you. The last case she argued in front of the Supreme Court was one that 
women could just opt out of jury duty, but men had to go. But what? That seems like an obvious bullshit rule on its surface. But mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, that is gender discrimination. Okay. It, it is, you know, women have the same societal obligation t- that men should have. So, yeah, that's bullshit. And she's completely uh, fucking right. Yeah, and just quick fact correction. There's actually been eight Jewish uh, Supreme uh, Court justices. <laughs> okay. But there okay. hadn't been one for, like, since the 60s. Late 60s, early 70s, I think. Okay. This anyway. information yeah. is important, is probably more important than what we're about to talk about. But in terms of pop culture... In terms of prop, pop culture, on the basis of sex and RGB are two movies made about her. Oh, yeah. So uh, you can yeah. always check those out. Check those out. And let's get into the movies. And I think you've occasionally heard me say we got a big movie coming up. That's an understatement in this case. It is perhaps one of the biggest movies with... Uh, a huge success, a cultural touchstone, and changes the way people make movies. Let's... I've been, well, I've been, I, I sorry to cut you off, which I tend to do, but. It's fine. This whole, like, especially in 93, every single week, I feel like Chris in particular, you say like, I remember this movie, but I hated this movie. I'm sick of this movie. I don't want to hear about this movie ever again. Mm-hmm. Even if it's something charming like Dave, you're just sort of like, you keep saying 93 is the year you fell in love with right. movies, but every movie has been one you're like, eh. Well, they're all like uh, they're all kind of like, especially they're all overshadowed, but what by what I saw first, and most of that stuff we talked about their theatrical releases. I had seen them on video after this week, deciding movies are my thing; they will be my thing for the rest of my life, and I will watch every mm-hmm. one of them I can, even ones I have no interest in. And again, it was a yep. monoculture that was easier to do, like literally yep. three, four it's movie like releases almost a week. Every week, I've been like, you keep saying this is when uh-huh. you fell in love with movies. What could have made you fall in love with movies? Here we go. Every movie pisses you off. Well, here we go. Here we go. <clears throat> Samuel L. Jackson, Wayne Knight. I just love people who haven't got it yet and like they were in a movie together. Richard Attenborough, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, Sam Neill. It's surprisingly number one at the box office. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Jurassic Park. On June 11th, dinosaurs and man, two species suddenly thrown back into the mix together. Can I touch it? Sure. How can we possibly have the slightest idea what to expect? Universal Pictures presents a Steven Spielberg film, an adventure 65 million years in the making. Jurassic Park, rated PG-13. Ah, oh boy. What, and, and, and to talk about this, we have a very special guest. Probably the person I've talked to about this movie the most over the last nearly 20 years. Who's with us? Hello, it's uh, legendary prop master Stan Winston no. here to talk about. Uh, <laughs> Stan, uh, you're back for the dead. The yeah, I, just for this show. I uh, came back oh, to make pumpkinhead. We missed you. <laughs> uh, hi, it's Brett from the past. Brett, yeah, and, and, and I've been kind of a broken record leading up to Jurassic Park, but it's because through talking about it with you, I realized how the movie became so special to us mm. in our age. And sure. uh, I'm going to let you say all that because I've been a broken record about it. Okay, uh, so yeah, I uh, unprompted, I was like, I know in the back of my brain, Jurassic Park is turning 30 soon, mm-hmm. because that's just how I am. Uh, but with this, this was, and I don't really know where to start, but it's like short version, it's like this was not just mine, but my whole, a whole generation, but certainly for me, this was a, my Star Wars, kind where of, like, yeah. you hear people talk about in the 70s, where they went to a movie, were absolutely blown away, breathtaking, they came out of the theater, changed forever in some small way. 
And then you're like, what was that like? But I'm like, for me, that was Jurassic Park. It was, you know, this time in 1993, I'm 12 years old, going to be 13. It's this exact age where I'm like, do I think dinosaurs are still cool? I don't know. Like they were when I was little, but I don't think about dinosaurs much. Uh, I'm also 12 and I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to be in junior high in a few months. Like, I I guess, you know, should I join like a sports team? Should I like, (laughs) like, I just know like uh, people like I'm going to be a teenager. Like I need like something needs to change. Right. Like, and then I go see this movie and, I didn't think I didn't think of Jurassic Park maybe stunting my maturity a little bit. Like, oh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna stay kiddish for a little while, nerdy. Yeah, and and, I think this this in reading Cal it was like this and Calvin and Hobbes hit me at the exact same time mm. where I'm like, oh, this is keeping me here for at least five more years. Mm. Uh, But that the zoom out, uh, the John Williams score kicking up, and I remember opening night being in the theater and people behind me muttering like, oh, you. And I didn't really know who John Williams was at the time. I'm like, oh, I recognize music that he's done, but I'm not like, I'm not that movie person yet. But hearing like as, as the helicopter is landing and the, the bah, 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 and you can hear people just going like, oh man, he's he's done it again. Like in the middle of nowhere, rural Illinois, there, even there, there were people like the master is at it again. And uh, they land. And then that first shot that we all know when it zooms out and the Brachiosaurus and the music swells and you have the classic Spielbergian review of, uh, reveal of like everyone's mm-hmm. mouth agape and the lights and the oh my god yeah people that, in I, wonder that's what Spiel- in wonder. spielberg does those shots beautifully yeah the people yeah. in wonder shot it's a it's a classic and that I, shot. I, that's the and feeling i get out and i'm just like i'm i'm genuinely stunned we're like my mouth is open i am I'm weak like, in the knees like dr believe. grant i'm <laughs> yeah and like i cannot believe how good this shot looks and and even today and it comes up a lot we're like wow 30 years later so many of the special effects hold up and it's like there are some shots where it's like yeah that looks kind of dated that's some old cg but especially in 1993 zero comparison there is nothing else that looked anything like this and now special effects are a dime a dozen you go to 10 movies a year that look technically flawless and thus not very interesting but this movie is i have a rant about that remind me later uh (laughs) i'm sure we won't have to Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) but like the, the perfect the perfect mix of and to me, this is like the last 80s movie ever made, where it is like it's a perfect mix of the best practical effects, the best on set. You're interacting with a real mm-hmm. thing, the best uh, not much stop motion. I think maybe like a shot or two. There maybe might be none. I, I don't remember. But like and then cutting edge CG where it actually feels cutting edge, where you, you leave the theater going like, how did they uh, man? I like this and maybe independence day where it's like they mix practical with CG and that's three years from now, uh, timeline wise, but like but this we, movie that only uses CG when it has to use right. practical when it can, regardless of how expensive it, that it's, might it's, be. It's, the, the CG in the movie people love to remind people of is like somewhere between six and 16 minutes. Like that's it's not much. It's not a no. lot of CG. It's a lot of practical stuff. And no, we and were, that CG took so long yes. to render one mm-hmm. shot of the T-Rex moving in the rain. One, one frame, six hours. Wow. That's the computing it, power we're dealing with. And it looks yeah. incredible today. Yeah, the T- yeah. T-Rex yeah. in particular is pretty flawless on screen yeah. due to the darkness. The, the entire special effects of this film are why this film was a cultural juggernaut. I'm not saying the plot isn't good. I'm not yeah. saying the characters aren't interesting because they are. But if this had had mediocre special effects, we mm-hmm. would not be talking about it today. We just wouldn't. This was such a literal game changer for all big budget cinema after this just ask yourself this simple question 
what's the last major Hollywood blockbuster to not have a significant CGI scene? Shit. Uh, duh. I don't think there, I can't imagine there are any. I think all that Dune stuff was on location. So. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, yeah, I would say we're probably 27, 28 years since the last big blockbuster without a major, major CGI scene. So yeah, yeah, this film changed cinema forever. Yes, and and one thing I did want to talk about while we have Brett here, because his memory is much better with this. Uh, first of all, I, it blew my mind looking into it, how little this movie cost, but I yeah. I don't like, it, it. it's quoted as $60 million budget. Terminator 2 was almost twice that. The What was the movie from the previous year? Every other movie has been... That's number one has been more expensive than Jurassic Park. I guess Batman Returns was nice. Batman Returns was $80 million. But one of the things, we were making fun of Phil Tippett earlier because of that meme, like he's credited as dinosaur supervisor. And that's because Phil Tippett (laughs) is a legendary stop motion uh, effects guy. Uh, worked on Star Wars. He just re- he's been working on a movie, Mad God, for thirty years that just got released on Shutter. I haven't seen it. Just the clips of it are oh, mind melting. It is incredible, yeah. and it is very weird and disturbing, and you feel like your brains are melting out of your ears <laughs> just trying to figure out. Oh my God, where is this? How, how, what am I even looking at? Mm-hmm. But also like how good the animation who, who the stop at, motion oh, wow. animation is so hard who looked at tools sober and like this should be a 90 minute movie and and and, and but yeah. but he what's really fascinating about this to me is phil is brought on to make the dinosaurs and they do some mock-ups with stop motion his specialty and spielberg's like nah i don't think i don't think that's going to do it and like the the notion of cg slowly comes in like can we actually do this and that gives the production like an almost two year production time pre- of pre-production. And oh, yeah. in addition to that CG, so what I did find a figure on the marketing budget was $65 million and they had so much time to prepare. And what, when I say prepare, Spielberg has directed one of the biggest movies ever and has kind of not made this type of movie in a while. He is, uh, what was his last, he's, he's making- Hook, he's being made. Oh hook. my god! He made. He's making Schindler's List almost simultane- simultaneously with this, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, he, I can get into yeah. some of the behind the scenes on that. Um, so he he loved. They bought this book before it even went to, to right. print. It's another one of those where it's like the buzz is so big. Spielberg bought the rights with Universal, mm-hmm. and nineteen ninety, I think, in nineteen ninety, and they we live in one of the alternate universes where we pull it up. Um, the bidding for it was Warner Brothers bidding to have Tim Burton direct, mm, Columbia wow. bidding for Richard Donner, 20th Century uh, Fox bidding for Joe Dante. Honestly, Ooh. I'd like to see all of those. That would be I, really I would love to that? see them. I would cool. love to see. I think I think Dante and Donner in particular would have killed. Yeah, it. the Burton one, uh, I'm like, oh, that's okay. But, but the other I, two, was, I'm like, okay. I did want to give th- that. That is why Phil Tippett is credited as dinosaur supervisor because he like. I think rather admirably a decades long stop motion worker immediately like brought what he knew about that into working with the CG team. Whereas you've heard stories of other people who cannot shift gears technologically that fast. And he did, he, he did both stop motion and CG work on, on Jurassic park. And I think that's amazing. And a line that he said in real life made it into the film because (laughs) when they, when they showed Phil, uh, the the first CGI run, the test run, 
and they were all wowed by it. And they said, "You're fired." I think you may be out of a job. And Phil said, "I think I'm extinct." Mm. Yeah. And so they kind of worked that into the film there. And yeah. Uh, so okay, let me go back a little bit more. So sure. Spielberg buys this. They're going to make it. And part of his deal to make it is he also wants funding to make Schindler's List, mm. which he had been kicking around for even longer and right. kept thinking, I'm not the guy to direct this. And so he went to Scorsese was attached for a while. He went to Roman Polanski, which, yeah, it's Polanski, but also he's a Holocaust survivor. So right. you understand why you would make that call. Mm -hmm. And so finally, he's like, OK, I think I can do this. This is a, this a grown up movie. I'm going to teach it, take it really grown up. But I have to do Jurassic Park first. Mm -hmm. So. Because of the long pre-production and because of the long post-production, yeah, he's off in Poland shooting Schindler's List and at night getting on a satellite hookup to look at effect shots of dinosaurs running around. And he says that basically yeah. saved his sanity yeah. because he was I so depressed that. every day because, God, you're making Schindler's List. Yeah. And, 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 and oh, let's look at the dinosaurs run again. That That's okay. a point I always because I, I never want to be I'm not a guy who like shits on Jaws, but I had not seen Jaws. But mm. the world loved Jaws. And this is basically like saying, this is the guy who made Jaws, but with dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Get get fucking, they don't know anything about effects. Get Everybody is amped for this. And yeah. just to that extent, when I saw Jaws after Jurassic Park, I'm like, neat. But I, it's like, I'm not as movie-y as anyone here. And yet, like, I was such a big Jaws and Jaws 2 fan where I'm just like, Jaws, Jaws. Uh, yeah, I, I, I hate to diminish it, but in my mind, it's like Jurassic Park is a very idealized 20-year sequel to Jaws sure. that Spielberg finally made. Yeah. They're very good companion pieces. And it's, yep. it, in that case, it's difficult to go back. But what I was wanted to ask Brett specifically, because he's good with this kind of stuff, the marketing budget, that logo, I can't oh, remember. Yeah. The logo was around for months. Before so the movie came out, I've you, dear listener, will not be able to hear this, but I've had I'm pulling behind you. I use it for back support now, but this pillow that I'm holding <laughs> is that logo, right? Yeah, it's the classic yellow with the with the brand, the, the brand symbol at the bottom right, with the brand symbol. Then yeah. JP, mm -hmm. this was around for a long time, so much so I've had this pillow since the movie came out. The copyright on this pillow is 1992, right? Because <laughs> remember, God, I, it's before the movie came out, I and was, then it shows up in the movie where they've slapped a logo and. Ian Malcolm's pounding the table in a second. You slapped a logo on it and you're selling it. And you're it's selling like, it. That's sold. literally what they were doing. And, and we bought advance. it. We all bought it. I had mm -hmm. so much Jurassic Park oh, yeah. stuff. But, I mean, and also I, I looked this up. Guess hmm. little keychain. Ah. Oh. <laughs> there we go. And I've had that. So I found that moving from my parents' house like years ago. But anyway. Guess how many companies license Jurassic Park? Uh, oh. 400. 100. 100. With <laughs> over. 1,000 different dino projects. So, so trying to think, mm. but that's what why, interesting that's why I wanted to ask, ask Brett, like, where was it exactly? I'm seeing the logo. Is it in comic pages? Is it in video game magazines? Is it billboards? I remember yes. being aware of the, the answer <laughs> is yes. The, yes, yes. And that's and all yes. the advertisement was. It was like black and the logo yeah, in Jurassic Park. No, you didn't know it's the cast. Weird, the Super Mario Brothers movie came out like the month before this, mm -hmm. or just like we know weeks, yeah, weeks before. And I remember seeing tons of commercials for that on TV, but then like one Jurassic Park commercial, and that was it. And it was the same one that showed basically nothing. And you saw like a T Rex for two seconds, and mm -hmm. you're like, what is this dinosaur movie? And it almost had like a, I, I remember the logo being there, but like it had uh, not like the Matrix where nobody literally had any clue what you were going in to see when the Matrix came out in March of 99. Right. It was like, but there was still just like a, 
if I hadn't read the book and I'm 12, I haven't read this novel yet. Uh, but like, if you don't know anything about the book as most of the country probably didn't, they're didn't. just like, Oh, it's a Spielberg dinosaur movie. But the trailer is very like, despite a lot of marketing, they really didn't show much. And so you go, I guess I'm going to see a thrilling adventure with dinosaurs or something. Um, yeah, you know, the, I, I, the marketing is... It was double the budget of the film, oh, over double the budget yeah. of the film. Yeah. I, I was going to push back on the no one knows what this is. The book was huge. Yeah. Everyone was. I knew yeah. read the book, and I was in the beginning of high school. Yeah, I, I read the book. Um, so I was on a train ride. I was reading uh, the Grand Admiral Thrawn trilogy, right. and my friend was reading Jurassic Park, and I was like, well, I'm reading a sequel to Star Wars. What possible use <laughs> could your little puny book have compared to the sequel to Star Wars? And then he loans it to me and I get sucked in. I'm positive. I read that book twice wow. before the movie came out. So I'm there knowing in theory what is going to happen. Mm -hmm. But I was so blown away by everything because you're absolutely right. The marketing has changed so radically compared to today. Today, yeah. you see everything. Basically, they almost right. never hold Spoil anything everything. Back. And they, the, yeah. the logos in the commercial for the movie. And, and just mm -hmm. like, this is like the most confident Gabo level marketing. <laughs> I, I've seen like millions of dollars into just a, J, a JPEG of Jurassic but, Park. Well, I was following the trades at this point. I was reading Premier Magazine and other things, and everyone was going nuts. Like, somehow, everyone who was in any bit of the movie business knew that these special effects were the best special effects of all time by far, and that was the draw. And by God, thank God they had the balls to not spoil it. Thank yeah. Because that moment when you're in the theaters and you see them for the first time, my jaw fell open i was like special effects will never get better than this mm. i literally thought that at that time i was <laughs> for like a while this is peak as good as we will ever get and for the rest of the decade it almost was Kinda. because people took such the wrong lesson from mm -hmm. this movie jurassic park works so amazingly well because of the practical effects mm -hmm. and they use the cgi which keep in mind we are 1993 cgi you know yeah. they use it so sparingly at just the right point and every other moment they use practical but the rest of the 90s it's just like uh let's let's just cgi the shit out of this with our ps2 graphics okay let me go off on my rant here because because this is something jr and i were talking about in leading up to this i started texting friends with kids like have your kids seen jurassic park and what do they think and it is unanimous Kids like dinosaur movies kids like jurassic mm -hmm. park it, it's and one of my friends gave her 10 year old the phone and he gave me like a youtube take and she was like you need to post a reaction video as soon as you can because that's what he wants you to do so i start what i wa was trying to to tell him I, I could tell you we've told you why jurassic park is blows the minds of brett and i you know we're we're at the right age but like i was trying to explain to him why this blew everybody's mind and it, it, there's one stupid key movie for that so, and it's, it's, it's because of special effects. I'm a little kid. I think most little kids, not even necessarily boys obsessed with big monsters, right? Like it's always cool to see that on TV or movie screen. I see King Kong doesn't occur to me that it's from 1933. It's just awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with King Kong. I make, oh, I can make little stuff with miniatures after learning how King Kong is made. Uh, see Godzilla on screen. Awesome. This is awesome. 
and I'm sure Brett had the same reaction. Who doesn't love Godzilla? As oh, yeah. and 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 but in reading about it, that is the extent of dinosaur special effects: stop motion, miniatures matted, and guy in suit. That is it. That is it mm-hmm. for decades. And yep. and I was trying to remember. I look back. What are the big dinosaur? I am making more. I am making more dinosaur movies in my bathroom than Hollywood is making for the, the first decade that I'm alive. And other than Land Before Time, there was one movie like it's a fucking live action effects based dinosaur movie, Baby, Baby, oh, wow, Secret God. of the Lost Legends. That movie is fucking terrible. Has way too much nudity for a PG Disney movie. Uh, it is culturally insensitive in so many ways. But it 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 that was the first time like we're gonna put. Hollywood level animatronics into dinosaurs. What they did is put Hollywood animatronics into Godzilla's suit, and it looks very silly um, nowadays. It's 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 very small, and the robots look very bad. They didn't work very well. But nobody yeah. that's so. And we I, all went to see it. Like any, every, all the kids my age. Oh, I, I rented it every, every weekend. There's a dinosaur in it, so of course I will. Three do dinosaurs, <laughs> and and I remember reading about it. But it, they're all lame dinosaurs too. And yes. like, I'm still going. And and so when I'm reading about this, like I'm reading about film critics talking about baby and the way they're talking about it, like, great. Who needs another B dinosaur movie? Dinosaur movie effects for 20 years were locked in. That's what a B movie is. So you, you were about to say locked in Amber. You should have said locked in Amber. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, they are. They are crystallized in, in King Kong and Godzilla special effects for decades. And they would run on TV. Kids will eat this. Just why, why should we spend big money on dinosaurs? And that's why I love Steven Spielberg because he has that clout to say, fuck you. I'm going, we're going to spend a lot of money and innovate this in every way. And it's like this beautiful marriage of every dinosaur effect taken to the absolute technological extreme. You know, what absolutely blows my mind. Hmm. Why don't we have more dinosaur films today? It's like, Jurassic Park does not have to be the only dinosaur franchise. I think like, yeah. I think that's the reason why is that dinosaurs are so well represented everywhere else in Jurassic Park. They don't want so much dinosaurs as they want an IP in theaters. I, I, I feel like you're right. But then if you look, there's like 18 kid shows with dinosaurs in them. That was not the way back in the day. We were watching reruns of Land of the Lost, that awful 70s yeah, show. The last uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just yeah. feel you could have, you know, an original IP. It's just, I oh, agree these with people you. got time traveled and they are fighting dinosaurs with their iPhones. And I agree with else, you, but, you but we, we had a resurgence. Well, a lost, a lost uh, footage film. Found but, footage but film. When, I, when I'm talking, I, I was trying to think. More Valley of the Guanji. When I'm trying to. Cowboys versus dinosaurs with modern effects. I was you. trying to explain to this kid in a video. And so basically I'm making like a really hard YouTube video for one kid. So I might have to put it on Patreons for other people to see it. <laughs> Uh, but that's why it blew the world's mind. It was effects of the nature that it didn't matter if you were a little kid. You've seen movies before. And so what's on screen in Jurassic Park, you've never seen anything like this ever, mm-hmm. ever. So it blew adults' mind, grandmas, like it was, it was everybody. Yeah, I think I, marriage is the perfect word, though, because we really have the best of the best in several different kinds of yes. effects and animation, guys. We got Dennis Muren, who's like, the grandfather of computer effects going all the way back to the first star Wars stuff where he was like the cameraman on the, the crawl and gradually figured out how to do fancier effects. You got Stan Winston, who's Mr. Practical effects. He designed the predator and they built a giant, they built a T-Rex. They built a T-Rex. Then you got Phil Tippett. Who's the stop motion guy 
when you think, oh, well, stop motion's out motives. No, this is a guy who knows how to do realistic movement frame by frame mm -hmm. by frame. And so they built basically like a little robot dinosaur that could input movements into the computer yep. that the stop motion people could do. And then you have Michael Lantieri, who's kind of the guy who's in charge of keeping these guys working together. And that those are your four effects guys who win the Oscar. And that's what's taking th basically three and a half years to put together. Because there's like six months of principal photography and... Like not even yeah, not even that. Why for like a month and a half or yeah, something, it's... and then they're there when Hurricane and Nikki hits in Nikki, um, and they get some nice B-roll footage of the the storm. It's real footage, and I think it's funny because that's the hurricane that on Kauai loosed the real dinosaur menace that live on Kauai, the feral chickens. Oh, right. that's what the, that was the same time as the chickens. That's what released the feral chickens. Oh. Everyone's oh, backyard wow. chickens got loose and they couldn't round them back up. Oh wow! I did. I did. Man, it's great. Yeah, if you forget to Kauai. Uh, yeah, those chickens are. Everywhere. I did. I did. There was a funny. I think Sam Jackson said in an interview he was supposed to be killed being chased by velociraptors, but the hurricane destroyed that whole set. So it's just like that's out. You need a you need a much quicker death. And so that made me think of like, obviously everyone went to see this because it's, right. it's the Spielberg dinosaur movie and it's summer. So and especially more than even now than today, it was like May June is your summer's here school is out we are going to see whatever the big movie is it doesn't matter what it is mm -hmm. everybody's going unless it's wild wild west but <laughs> we uh none of these are like huge actors they, yeah. like at the time like they're all, all they're all known nope. names like, i had not they're known quantities but like none of them were like coming off of a hot i had not or even like started a hot street I, because of this. i had not seen any of them before period at that point yeah, I might but not have either do you Mostly know are... who Spielberg originally wanted for Dr. Grant? Yes. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, Ford, right? Harrison Ford sure. was going to be Dr. Grant, but he turned it down. And I got this trivia question. That's smart. And... That's smart because we think, well, he should just be punching the dinosaurs. In the Hammond role, he wanted <laughs> Sean Connery, but apparently he couldn't Ooh. say the movie's title, Jurassic Park. Jurassic. <laughs> oh, it's just spit everywhere. Yeah. I, I do love that he brought. Attenborough came out of acting retirement. Right. He hadn't acted oh, well. for more than a dozen years. He was directing. Oh, well. We just talked about Chaplin a couple months ago. He directed Chaplin. He won the Best Director Oscar for Gandhi, beating Spielberg for E.T. And I'm wow. going to tell the story one more time. Even, <laughs> even he said Spielberg should have won. This is wrong. This is <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> and, you know, 13, 15 years later, Spielberg comes by and says, you want to be in my movie? I know you don't act anymore. And he's like, okay. And I, I love that, like, it introduced him Is to it? a whole new generation of yeah. people. And, because, and, like, he made movies back in the late 30s. You can check out Young whoa. Attenborough, man. Oh. And, he, and he's, he's actually, yeah, that's what he's remembered in. I mean, he gets, right. like, a cameo in Jurassic World as a hologram or something like that. And I think most young people will remember him as that. Yeah, yeah. which... And his the changing of that character, I find very Yes, that's, like, one of the biggest yeah. changes. I... I didn't have time to go back and read the entire book. <laughs> I'm not going to do that for you guys. I'm sorry. You, maybe I would have if we were, I don't know. But uh, remembering that, oh, yeah, in the book, Hammond is way more of just, just a cutthroat capitalist. Yes. He's not the kindly grandpa who wants to bring wonder to the world. He's just a dick. <laughs> Which and if he you, if pays you, the fucking price for it. If you think about the movie, you kind of do need that character to explain why any of this is happening. Because, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to spend $100 million on this and give it to the world for free. Like, this doesn't happen for, with someone yeah. like that. It happens with someone who doesn't give a shit about anything but money. Because yeah. this thing this is... This did lead me... Well, just to... someone who's driven 
beyond all reason. He like has a right. goal. Yeah. He's going mm -hmm. after that and he's not going to let any facts or logic um, get in his way. But yeah. let's get which, real for a which moment. Brings us to the, the, the line of the movie. As far as I'm concerned, you thought about whether you could, not whether you should yeah. <laughs> like that's just put that on the t-shirt. I, I wish more people thought about that when they made zoos. Like, yeah. maybe yeah. this isn't the right or thing for everybody. Rockets uh, to Mars or bought websites. I got. I gotta say, I'm on Team Clone Dinosaurs. If we have hmm. the tech, which we do not, okay, you cannot you get 65 million old DNA. I would absolutely be on Team. Let's clone these dinosaurs. So, but I, I, I knew you would have an answer to this. The whole mosquito blood DNA preserved in ember. Not it's feasible. a great reason it's a perfectly acceptable reason for a movie you can bring it along in the movie in reality no at the time i remember reading and it was like oh man this is so cool we can actually do that but even back in 1992 when i was reading this i read an article and it was like yeah it's a cool idea but there's no way we can do that 30 years worth of tech and it's still like no DNA does not last 65 million years mm. even in amber okay we, we yeah. don't have the code the one and, thing but, I think but, we are, I think we're coming close. We could probably clone a mammoth. I think I will live to see a clone mammoth. Really? I think right. that will happen in my lifetime. That's like 10,000 years ago. There were mammoths alive when the pyramids were being built. What? Yeah. Well, I didn't think yeah. of them coexisting, yeah. but they'll probably only do it if Elon Musk can eat it. That's the only reason mm. that looks yes, That is true. Yeah. I, I was going to ask, I mean, not just would you want clone dinosaurs to come back, but if you could bring back any animal. Hmm. What would you want brought hmm. back? Because I have a definitive answer. I do too. Jim yep. Jim Henson. There you go. That's a great answer. <laughs> I believe there's I an want... HBO right. TV series about that premise. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I want dodos back so dodos, bad. Dodos, man. We, dodos we... are the dumbest bird. Okay, why not passenger no. pigeons? Passenger pigeons <laughs> used to be giant flocks of the That's... millions. Are they gone? And... That's true. Yeah. yeah, they're extinct. Passenger pigeons. But you see, dodos, like the span between white guys discovering dodos and there being no more dodos is so short. We didn't really get to study them. <laughs> and they're really friendly and apparently they taste great. And that's why we don't have dodos anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I want them. I want a pet dodo. Uh, we got to get a flaming hot dodo before we're all out of here. Yeah. But did, uh, thinking back onto the like, how this was like my own Star Wars, it's like, it, it then led me to then go, I did go read Jurassic Park, that novel. And then mm -hmm. I was like, and now I have to read every Michael Crichton mm. book. And so oh, seventh, nice. eighth, seventh and eighth grade was me reading Andromeda Strain, Congo, uh, The Great Train Robbery, Sphere. Ah. Uh, I mean, I just went down the list and then promptly stopped right when I got around 95. It was like, disclosure, I don't want to read this. <laughs> Why? There's For that no great question. VR scene alone. There's oh, no good lord. Oh, uh, oh, what's the? There's one about virtual. There's a VR man or, oh, uh, I don't remember. A Crichton. There's, oh. there's some book yeah. about. Oh, and and I and and I there was part of my love for like I love Jurassic Park, and one thing I always like pointing out is that like it made so much money in theaters. It was like the longest held over movie I'd ever yeah. seen, and and my friend and I kind of had a race to. We we were trying to. See, I saw it five times i saw it six times and i think we got to like 12 or 13 because i was lucky enough to have a, a walkable Damn. 50 cent theater near my house and it was there for months and yeah, and, I, and he got me beat because his family's wealthy he went to the super bowl complained to his mother i'm tired let's go see 
Do you want to go see Jurassic Park? He left at halftime to, to go see Jurassic Park for like the tenth time. Wow. Uh, I did geez. see it. I did see it thirteen times. Yeah, I because, uh, because I was just it, it, all the way until it was in like the dollar theater, like six months, nine months later, and I feel like the timeline. And my memory here at Fear is pretty good, mm -hmm. but it came out, you know, June of 93. I feel like it didn't come to VHS until October of 94. It didn't. It was like, it, it was like a year and a half. Forrest Gump later. was out, and there was another CG movie in the planet. I, I remember this because the, the, pro, the steps were movie theater, six months to video, and then six months to HBO. Jurassic mm -hmm. Park mm -hmm. bypassed all that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I, it became one of the biggest selling VHSs of yeah. all time. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of surprised it's not number one. I'll be honest, but seeing like, oh, Lion King and Titanic, of course. That, yeah. Well, that's, you know, not, not to get too far into it, but the movie that changed that reality was Batman because home video was only for yeah. classics and kids' movies because people didn't yeah. feel the need to buy movies. And Batman helped change that. Ironically, their VHSs look very similar, Jurassic Park and Bat the first yeah. Batman. Mm. But uh, but yeah, even so, then, you, you didn't get a lot, of, even blockbusters on home video, they would be $90 rentals you'd have to yeah. get from your blockbuster. Yeah. But for the film itself, I had a literal countdown. I got like some magazine ad that was like seven days until Jurassic Park. Wow. And every day I'd put like a sticky note, six days, yeah. five days, four <laughs> days. And like uh, my mom was renting out a room uh, in our house to a college student. And I like had almost a scavenger hunt of all the Jurassic Park things around the house, just showing when it was. And I was like the first one in line. This was absolutely my star wars this was absolutely the movie that i was the most into and it really solidified that i wanted to make films someday mm -hmm. and i was just watching it and just blown away and allowed it to wash over me and i was living in that world and i wanted everything jurassic park i could get after watching this i played so many of the video games which were all awesome. crap god they, i mean it was just how how do you fuck what's your favorite jurassic park game elston <laughs> yeah. so that that is a good uh when you mentioned how many like licensees and things there were this is an interesting one where again the time frame is such that a game every single game called jurassic park is different on every yep. platform the mm -hmm. NES game is different from the Super NES. It's different from the Genesis, Sega CD, 3DO. They're all completely different, different developments and, and different genres. They're just not even the same at all. There was no like optimization for like, well, we'll make one game and then we'll port it to a bunch of systems. Because, it was just like, oh, Sega CD was like a mist style first person, you know, point oh, and click yeah. adventure. Oh, God. <laughs> um, which to me is like, isn't that the best? Because at least that's just like, oh, we're not trying to like make an action game. It's just you're trapped yeah. on the island. You have to get off and go find a way to, and you get to like navigate the the actual venue. Which uh, I've only been once, but Universal Studios in Florida that recreates the visitor center mm -hmm. and when the dinosaurs ruled the Earth banner. I didn't see that until I was like 33 or something. So that was very cool to finally see that. But uh, I, I want to talk. I, I want to talk about the ride at Universal Studios Hollywood so much. Sure. Yeah, it's it it, it, it was terrible. It costs, <laughs> shut up! It is not. First of all, it is not terrible. It costs more than the movie. Wow. And <laughs> no. It is, yeah. It it was like 150 million dollars. Only a couple of years later, it is the best animatronics I think I've ever seen. I don't know if there's, I haven't been to a lot of theme parks in the last bunch of years, so I don't know anything's better, but that there is an animatronic dinosaur that is hiding under the water and comes mm. up and is like 12 feet tall. And I know where he is and I'm watching for him. I can't see him. There is a truck 
that drops off a giant wall into the water, what, 30 times an hour? <laughs> so I, I, I should How does I should that work. And the T Rex at the end is great, but I, I went the T Rex is spectacular. It comes through the waterfall. Oh my god, it's gorgeous. If, if you know your theme park lore, uh one, it took Universal kind of way too long to capitalize on that. Like when it finally mm. came out, like I was like in my twenties almost. And and uh when I went in twenty fourteen I had to read about this because people like you who grew up in LA have like a ton of positive Jurassic Park ride experience. They kind of let it decay. And Aww. instead of fixing it, they just let it decay and then replaced it with Jurassic World. And so it's been totally refitted with Jurassic World stuff. It's, uh, some stuff is the same, but there's a lot of TVs now, TV screens for that swimming dinosaur. Oh, that was... Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I grew up obsessed with dinosaurs. My grandparents lived in D.C. I'd go to the Smithsonian thing like twice a year, buy, just go nuts in the gift shop. Uh, love that place. Love dinosaurs. Um, was Jurassic Park anybody's kind of like introduction to the Velociraptors? Because they... Oh, definitely. 100%. Yeah, even, definitely. E- even dinosaur geeks didn't really talk about Velociraptors right. before yeah. this film. I mean, for Pete's sakes, a national sports team named itself yeah, yeah. the Raptors. I mean, yeah. what other movie gets that yeah. done other than the Ducks? Because yeah. I remember, like, you know, as a kid... Uh, the, the... I was going to say the fan area... Uh, for for the Toronto Raptors, so cool. is, is called oh. the Jurassic Park. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's like the as a kid, the, the cartoon, which the, I think the whole first episode's on YouTube. It's well, I think it's only two episodes. Period. Dino Riders, which is like yeah. people travel back in time, blah blah blah. But then they the good guys make peace with the dinosaurs and are able to ride them. The bad guys put the brain box on them and take over the dinosaurs, and then the toys fight each other. But um, the like. And I might butcher the name because as a kid, I'm just like, Dinonychus, that's what it's called. But it was that kind of like, it's like five and a half, six feet tall, mm-hmm. tall legs, claws on its feet, Dinonychus. That's the call, That's the cool, like, wolfy, fast dinosaur that the bad guys ride. And then Jurassic Park comes out probably five, six years later, and it's this Velociraptor. And I'm like, that, that just looks like Dinonychus because why would they do Velociraptor? I don't understand. And I, then I, everyone's I, like, get, get that cat out of the way. And that dino, <laughs> Dinonychus is just gone forever. And it was like Velociraptor and then Riptors and Killer Instinct and the Toronto Raptors are now a sports team. And it's like, okay. I think and the, I thought the, I read at some point that Rap- Velociraptor is actually this, one of the smaller ones. They're very small. To, they're yeah. very small. It's about the size of the turkey. Here's my justification yeah. <laughs> for that and all the other things. We have so few dinosaur fossils compared to how Mm. many dinosaurs there were. Okay, Mm. you know, dinosaurs existed for about 120 million years. I mean, think of how many species there must have been. Mm -hmm. We do not have a complete fossil record of everything. So if there's a different size raptor, sure. You know what? There's different size dogs. You know, a chihuahua (laughs) is not the same size as a husky. Maybe in some different area where they got the dino DNA, those are the larger raptors. I don't Mm. care. They they fudge a lot with the appearance of the dinosaurs, with the names of the dinosaurs. And and there is the fun fan theory that it's it's actually um, the makers of the park are fudging these things because Mm. we want to see the dinosaurs we expect to see. Right. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it's called Jurassic Park, and a lot of these are from the late Cretaceous. So... Yeah, there's kind of the argument he doesn't actually clone dinosaurs. He creates some sort of yeah. animal that looks like we what expect we a dinosaur to look and, like. 
I love that. I love that because of the flea comment in this yeah. film where he's like, well, I made it and I made them think they saw the flea, but they weren't yeah. fleas. And so that's the exact same here. That's why they just used so much frog DNA. And yeah. this is the geek in me. You know, now we are 100% sure dinosaurs have had feathers. That's a discovery of the last 30 years. In 1993, it was like, maybe they do. But now we're like, yeah, they're feathered 100%. So I wish the new Jurassic Park movies had feathered dinosaurs mm. and just had a throwaway line where it was like, hey, in the original park, why w didn't they have feathers? And someone just says they use too much frog DNA. Uh, Boom. Yeah. Hey. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Although that is one of those things that doesn't I feel like it kind of doesn't pay off in the movie or even in the book. The idea that they because they filled in gaps with frog DNA, the dinosaurs can change their gender and mm. mate which happens in lots of kinds of fish and some kinds of frogs. Yes, they're turning the frogs gay. <laughs> but yeah, also, find out, yeah, they're trans. But like the fact that there are too many dinosaurs now running around, like that like kind of doesn't pay off. It's just well, in the one more. In the it's book, one more of those chaos the theory because things. of it. Mm. Uh, yeah. So that's a big difference between the book and the n movie. Yeah. And the, the ending of the book is they just kill all the dinosaurs with bombs. And in no part of this movie is any dinosaur mm -hmm. hurt by the humans yeah. at all. Yeah. Spielberg didn't like that. He didn't want the guns to be of any use whatsoever, which, you know, is movie fudging. You can absolutely kill dinosaurs with enough rifle power, but that wouldn't be an interesting movie. You know, you yeah. want. No, it would be fucking movie. baby, which is disturbing to watch because of how many machine guns are being fired into dinosaurs. It's, it fucking sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but my hey, we, one... we brought him back just to get mowed down by <laughs> yes. the same guns. Like, <laughs> My my one big regret regret in the adaptation is that they didn't do the river scene. Yeah. The river scene yeah. in the book was like, I don't think I have ever been on the edge of my seat can you, reading any scene. Can you elaborate on the was. river scene? Uh, the they're book. getting chased by a Tyrannosaurus Rex and they have to escape on a river and the Tyrannosaurus Rex goes after them. So he's like swimming or be able to walk through the river? swimming okay yeah it's like a big like oh he can't do this and then oh my yeah. god uh, uh we had no uh, idea and the, the dentist yeah. came to pay homage in its own way where you're on grant on a raft fighting a t-rex head which is like yes. uh, like in the book uh, and and yeah. here, here's actually well, we didn't get back to like yeah the actors we should probably talk about the poor humans who have to put up with all this nonsense um yeah like our our two main leads are mm -hmm. Indie darlings, man. Sam, yeah. Sam Neill and uh, Laura Dern, like they, they make quality indie films, but haven't had any huge breakouts. Although you should watch Sam Neill's audition for James Bond. Ooh, it's Ooh I want to see that. It's I could not see him. Mm. It's a couple years before this. I think uh, around Timothy Dalton time, they tested him out, wow. and he's not bad. What would what was and his then, biggest thing before that? Uh, Ooh, good question. I mean, is the piano's coming out later this year? Yeah, so. I'll, I'll look it up. Keep going, Diana. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jeff Goldblum has obviously been around for a while, but people don't necessarily think of him as a star. I guess he's sort of like a medium star. Yeah, if I'd Samuel seen L. Jackson, I love the thing about I love about this show is how we've tracked Samuel L. Jackson coming up from, <laughs> hey, was that him in the background to mm -hmm. coming to America <laughs> to Jungle Fever to opening a movie and then, you know, then this of being like, he's a fifth or sixth lead, but he's really memorable. And to the makers of the Jurassic Park sequels, I would like to point out 
we never see Sam Jackson dead in Jurassic Park 1. We only ever see his arm. So, you know, just have him come back with a Bucky Barnes arm yeah. and you're good. <laughs> a dinosaur arm. Now there oh, they cloned him an arm. And then he becomes the lizard. Yeah. <laughs> that, and I love how, like, everyone knows Wayne Knight from this for, like, now until the end of time. Spielberg said even he, more so. He so saw him in Sliver and, like, you must be, or, or from Basic Instinct and, like, you have to be in this movie. What? How did that come? <laughs> okay. So he's not a slim man. And in this film, he's at his largest weight. And the scene where he's climbing up the river, yeah. that's not CGI. That's a big, big man with three fire hoses worth of water <laughs> being oh. gushed at him <laughs> yeah. trying to climb up that thing. And and I, I should say, uh, in regards to watching the movie, I'd, I'd love some better nerd to elaborate on this because I just saw it as like, that was a little bit of a conflict of interest, but uh, Steven Spielberg was an early financier in the DTS audio technology, which is mm -hmm. Dolby-esque as far as I know. And this is the first movie to use it, and therefore every movie theater outfits to prepare for it. Kind of a little shady on Spielberg's part. You're you're a financier of the company. <laughs> yeah, it, and it, but like good sound. I mean, the sound in this film, we I don't is, it won an Academy Award for a reason. Let me throw this out there. What did you think dinosaurs sounded I, like before this? Film? I don't know. Certainly not yeah. the hmm, kind of thing that happens. The dolphin yeah. noises of the yeah. yeah, the Velociraptor like dolphin noises and yeah. the T Rex just like throaty train barge noise. Mm -hmm. That is just like oh, this is dinosaurs now. Like, yeah, like that's just a, what they sound like. Like we don't even yeah. have like a reptile that they hiss. If anything, there's like not a roar that comes out of anything like that. Yeah, well, I, I love that did a lot of work just recording all kinds of animals and putting them together where I think like koala is one of the ones in the T-Rex because they actually have a really deep growl. Wow. It's like with a gator or a croc, you at least get that like a, like guttural, like a like a motorcycle idling kind of noise, like a, yeah. or a diesel engine kind of like a T-Rex in particular is a crocodile mixed with a lion wow. mixed with a baby elephant. Who wow. combination? <laughs> but I did. I did want to say on on that note because if, you should always see Jurassic Park on the big screen if you have a chance. It hasn't been re released as much as I think it should have been officially re released. Just once. I kicked myself. 3D. I didn't see the three D version. Yeah. Did any of y'all see no, that? No, I didn't see it. No, but I heard no. it was a pretty good conversion. But but I saw what the, I, like when they did the twenty fifth or twentieth, they did like the. San Francisco Orchestra would play the soundtrack while the movie's oh, playing, and hell so yeah. nice. went to that and absolutely like cried by the end of it. I, just, like, I was, I was almost sobbing at ET, and uh, <laughs> and 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 uh, but I did want to say like you know I have a modest you know modestly big TV screen, sixty five inches. Don't treat me any differently, uh, but it's the sound that really holds up. And like I hadn't really cranked the sound up before. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I have a really shitty 20 year old 5.1 system and it sounds amazing. So like more mm -hmm. so than like the size of the screen, if you want to rewatch it, do so with someone with a decent sound system, because it is, yeah. it's, it's, I'm not qualified to speak on it, but it, it is different and it is crazy. It's like, I watched Terminator two in the same system and it, it doesn't feel as evolved as Jurassic Park does. Yeah. <laughs> so. I uh, I rewatched this with my son, and we'd watched it like four years ago. And my kids do not rewatch stuff. They that's anathema to the they they won't do it. I 
pushed and prodded a little. Come on, you, it's either this or do homework. Which do you want to do? Kid? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're down there and it's the scene and I've got my sound cranked up and I got a good sound system where the water, you know, does mm -hmm. the jiggling thing mm -hmm. and my sound mm -hmm. is cranked up and he's like looking at his water to see if it, it jiggles mm -hmm. too. But it absolutely held up with a rewatch for him. Yeah. Which, God bless this film. The directing in this is amazing. I mean, let's talk about just one scene briefly. The kitchen scene. Yes. It, yeah. I love yeah. the T-Rex scene, but that is like, might be the best scene in the whole film. Like in just mm -hmm. how it's staged and, and brought across. And and it's, hard to do because it's all reflective surfaces. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I had to watch the film like 10 times before I like internalized that that is the reflection that the Velociraptor is going after. Yeah. I mean, like the first nine times, I'm like, oh no, it's going to get her. Crash into the reflection. <laughs> Poor Lex. Uh, but Spielberg is at his top of the game here. So I'm going to throw this out there. Is this the best directed monster scene of all time? I think so. Because like there, there are some genuine scares in there. And I love comparing it to Jaws and like, Spielberg almost went with the guy who built that unworkable King Kong robot from the, the <laughs> 70s remake and just like, nah, I've had nothing but trouble with, you know, full-bodied robots. Um, and I forgot where I was going with that. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, never mind. Um, the cutting, the pacing, the, oh, uh, the character screams. It, I mean, those it, are some excellent horror screams. If you've seen if you Jaws a thousand times, just in terms of like, the movie works like Jaws in that you don't see a shark for a while. And even when you do, it's like the park, the catastrophe of the park occurs one hour into the movie. And that's when like, oh, did you think this was going to be Jaws with a couple glimpses of the shark? Because it just, the floodgates of dinosaurs opens at that one hour point and it's all dinosaurs all the time in the next hour. So that's what but I think. Even, is in, even in that though, there's a beautiful restraint to it all. Yes, exactly. Like, we will focus on and the only time two dinosaurs ever cross paths is the final yeah. T-Rex baby face turn at the end of the movie where he's now, <laughs> oh, the heel's now the face and he's fighting the raptors and he throws them <laughs> into the thing. Like, like you wait the whole movie to see two dinosaurs interact. Everything else is like, it's the Triceratops scene. It's the Dilophosaurus scene. Yeah. This is the T-Rex scene. And you're just like, more, more, more. And then you get just a glimpse of dinosaurs interacting and then the movie's over. You're yeah. like, oh. Uh, and then you leave the theater and you're like, I just want to watch this again. But it, I think yeah. in that respect, that's why I think it's the perfect Jaws sequel. Yeah. It's it's as much as you mm -hmm. wanted to see the shark, but still has that wonderful tension. And the water, the water drip stuff is so fucking cool still. Like it's been parried in a billion things, but it's still yeah. like terrifying. Terrifying. There's, that, there's hold on to your butts. Yeah. There's, uh, mm. uh, uh, I should have said uh, the magic word. Uh, you didn't say that. Think word. of that every time I can't remember my password. You know, anytime <laughs> I'm like, is it with a, a ampersand? Uh, yeah. Is it a semicolon? Ah, got to say the magic word. But there Rose, are... Roosevelt sells a collared shirt with that just that Wayne Knight character as a pattern <laughs> all over it. <laughs> Almost. But it. there are so many memes from this movie mm -hmm. that work amazingly well. I mean, uh, the Wayne Knight one. Oh, he's here. He's here. He's here. <laughs> actually, no actually, here. Elston did that to. So Elston, we were working together. And I'm pretty sure he knew I was about to get laid off. And he's like, you should apply for this job. I'm like, but I'm at work. And he just goes, Dotson, we got Dotson over here looking for work. <laughs> yeah, so that's one of the most endearing moments where Elson threw a Jurassic Park reference at me. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, but one thing I do respect out of Spielberg is with the possible exception of the lawyer, he made everyone a real character in this film. I yeah. think the lawyer is just kind of a two bit one note, but like the game warden. Great mm -hmm. will do, man. He yeah. respects He's the awesome. animals. He cares about the staff. He's not some blood crazed maniac. Yeah. And he goes to his death like a stone Champ. cold bastard mm -hmm. oh clever girl mm -hmm. i mean he's not like ah, i've hunted animals all my life and now i'm scared of them and i'm repenting of all my ways I, no he's just like he should have said well done good sir i told mm -hmm. everybody this was going to happen and then he should have got killed <laughs> <laughs> it's like but oh I wish girl, I, that's another I, I wish i had been at that dig site to hear this established earlier on in the movie yeah. so now that it's paying <laughs> off damn yeah and also well, this, uh, this spielbergian yeah. uh spielbergian um why does the raptor emit light beams from the thing he's inside at the when they're all like shoot yeah. and it's just like <laughs> radiating like strobe lights. Those are the like, shock yeah, beams. They're they're shocking the raptor to try to get it to stop biting one. So that's where the light comes mm. from. And oh, okay. My and my only yeah. like modern things are one, you know, why is that little satanic kid uh, he's he's the baby in Freddy's <laughs> for Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Uh, uh, why is oh, this... Oh, is he really? Yeah. He's the dream child? Yeah, he's the, sorry, yes, he's the dream child. Um, wow. Like, why is this fucking kid in an astrological dig, or uh, archaeological dig in the middle of nowhere? And then, like, now that Baby we know... sitters are expensive. <laughs> and, you know, and, now, and I don't want to get caught up on this, but, like, Hurricane, even with a hurricane, now that, like, we've seen some behind the, the scenes of how even a Disney park works, there are too few people in Jurassic Park with their first visitors. There are way too few people yeah. controlling everything. Oh, well, it's, a, a thousand. it's all right. Here's, here's my headcanon. Listen uh, to the podcast about the opening of the hard rock amusement park. I hate to plug any other podcast, but it's called <laughs> podcast, the ride. And Great it podcast. was the most expensive uh, theme park failure of all time. They lost like, $800 million or something like that. And I don't know why that's so funny, but um, uh, listen to that podcast about the hard rock cafe theme park. And just imagine that's who's running Jurassic park. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and the funniest thing I had written down that I can't not say, because every time I watch this as an adult, I watched this probably 40 times and I couldn't really answer the question. Why are, why are they there? And it's just funny to me to commit insurance fraud. That's, that's, that's why, that's why they're there. The guy eaten by the raptor in the beginning is suing the park. And as expert testimony for the insurance people, that is what, is that the case in the book? That is why Grant and Malcolm are there to testify on behalf of this $20 million insurance claim. It's been a while. I don't think that's in the book. I think in the book, they're just there to like. And it's it's mentioned in the movie, better. but you could have asked me for 20 years, why are they there? And I wouldn't have been able to answer that question because it's so adult. But yes, they're <laughs> there to basically commit like high level insurance fraud and yeah. deny this, this guy his claim. So one <laughs> yep. thing I want to point out that doesn't get enough mention about Jurassic Park. It's funny. Yeah. There are <laughs> so many funny aspects where they get a little bit of humor. I mean, like, the scene when a child is electrocuted is funny. Yeah. I mean, you pulled that Holy off. Shit. That's... Holy shit. Yeah, it's it's funny yeah. throughout. It's it's one of the... Jeff Goldblum's role, like, I, I enjoy it more every single time. It doesn't... It, it, it ages very well. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, the, you do eventually plan to have dinosaurs on your dinosaur tour, right? Like that. <laughs> Hello? That. Uh, 
<laughs> that is so good. And then I really yeah. hate Batman. Right, uh, <laughs> but they, they made some really smart changes to Laura Dern's character, too, mm -hmm. that originally she's like a grad student. She's like a mentee instead of making her, you know, a full-fledged doctor mm -hmm. and an equal to uh, to Grant. Because then she gets to do a lot more. And mm -hmm. it's also the one of the things you don't think about is a lasting legacy of making girls interested in in earth sciences yeah. like there's mm -hmm. all these people they talk about the ellie sattler effect just like they talk mm -hmm. about the um uh the scully effect of women wanting to go into investigative law enforcement of kids seeing this and being like i could be like an archaeologist and like dig around and like find bones and like do all kinds of stuff learn about like plants but like ancient plants and I, you know, getting into like botany or zoology or, and that's that's the kind of dumb shit like growing insects, growing cloning the wrong kind of pretty plant that'll make a dinosaur yeah. sick. It, it, that that I believe that was sort of Animal Kingdom's opening as far like they left some free on the grass. Didn't anticipate that animals ate it. <laughs> Poof, done. Yeah. But so, like, yeah, the, yeah. My, and my only other minor gripe was with sort of mm -hmm. uh, once the doors come open on that Ford Explorer, like park shut down. That shouldn't happen. People shouldn't be yep. getting out in the dinosaur cages. But then Laura Dern's free to run around like, well, she's too good to be asked to go back on the tour. Now she gets to be in the cages. But it is an interesting way to keep her separated from Grant. And I think that was what was added for the movie to give really light character touches to like, you sure you don't want to have kids? No, I hate kids. He stuck with kids the whole movie. Neat. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just the oh, right and amount. Also, the of whole movie. scene of them trying to escape the 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 jeep that's slowly crashing down the tree, just yes. again actually having mm. it dangling above them. So good. Uh, and and there's like one shot they fudge where it's like he's you know doing a swing and there's like but it's like CG for like one second of that entire sequence is mm -hmm. oh yes we're not actually going to have a stunt man and two kids dangle off of the side of a cliff while. A jeep dangles and falls past them it's like that cg for precisely one second and then everything else was them in a tree set with a thing falling at them it's like this is great it's thrilling the, thrilling adventures the yeah. more i read about the making of the film the more i realize they made every decision right yeah so mm -hmm. the original mm -hmm. ending of the film was going to be the humans outsmarting the raptors. But then they went, you know, that's really going against the entire theme of our film. We're trying to ha show how it, uh, yeah. the dinosaurs and chaos theory and all these things. So let's just have the ultimate chaos of the Tyrannosaurus X coming in and being a uh, Deus Ex Tyrannosaurus Rex mm -hmm. and just <laughs> defeating them. Uh, and that works so better because it gives us that amazing shot of the mm -hmm. T-Rex biting the raptors. And if they had just like, Trap the raptors or whatever, it wouldn't have been yeah. nearly as epic as that roar with the banner oh, yeah. falling. That, that which is just that, cinematic genius. That shot, a, it is a like, I even as just a I love popcorn movies. I, like, I, I feel like that dinosaur when dinosaurs rule the earth is a top 10 art of humanity moment. It's, of, like, it's crazy <laughs> because, like, put that in the next Voyager we send into space because it's like, <laughs> aliens are gonna I feel like oh, if, I get it. if I explain that shot <laughs> now. And did it in a movie, everybody's eyes should roll harder than Fred Durst on Ecstasy. Yeah, for sure. But it's it it's still easy, like, though. it moves me. Every, I think this is the dopest way to, yeah, uh, that's your last shot of the dinosaurs. Yeah. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And, and, and for all I, we know, the last I'd time argue, will be in Jurassic Park. Yeah, I'd argue um, she saves the day because she's the star. Mm. Mm. T-Rex mm. is the star, baby. It's, true. It, it's not yeah. the, first, the only time that'll happen in the series either. 
Yeah. I've still never seen any of the world movies. I kind of refuse. Oh, see, I am going to skip Jurassic Park 2 and 3 with my kids mm-hmm. and go straight mm-hmm. to world. Yeah, world was fun. I fell asleep in Fallen Kingdom. And uh, uh, people I trust say 6 is really good. And uh, some there's some... Obviously, it, it, it it's bringing a lot of the first movie back in to close out the world series. That's the only thing that got me like, maybe I'll watch this. But then I heard it was terrible. So I was like, yeah. eh, it's okay. I've only ever seen World at this point. I haven't seen the other two, but I liked World. I thought it was a good sequel. Yeah, it was a good return. Know. Yeah, good return. Which, which, speaking of Lost World, which, yeah, is not, which is two and a half hours of like, what are we doing? Uh, but yeah. and my, my memory might be fuzzy here, but my my mental journey here is that obviously this movie, runaway success. No, mm-hmm. they, they knew they hoped it would be a hit and it was like so beyond what anyone expected. Adjusted for inflation. Yeah. It's still the highest grossing Jurassic park far oh, and away. For sure. mm-hmm. And it sits uh, right between adjusted for inflation, Jedi and Phantom Menace. It is. <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then like this naturally, like Crichton doesn't write sequels, mm-hmm. but it's like, of course we are going to make another movie. Mm-hmm. And in my, and I remember reading, cause at that point, like when I'm 14, 15, 16, I'm trying to read a little bit more like behind the scenes and reading trades and reading movie articles and newspapers and stuff. And I, I feel like there was some narrative of like, Crichton knows he's not going to be able to tell them, no, you can't make a movie. Uh, I, that story's done. And they're like, well, we need to base it on a, We want a book to base it on. Or we're just going to make our own right. movie. And so he's like, no, I will write a book. Yes. You will adapt my book. And so he's kind of forced into writing a yes. sequel. And so then he's like, I didn't want to write. He's like, I I actually remember him saying something like he didn't like the character of Ian Malcolm or Hammond. I think Hammond he kept dead. But like yeah. Malcolm, he's like, I don't want to write this character anymore. He's annoying. And he said, he annoys me. <laughs> but now I have to go back and write this. And I have to find out like. Oh God, we blew up the island. Like, ah, there's another one. I don't know. Like, it just seemed kind of frustrated. Like, I guess, and he cranks out this book. And I read that before the movie came out, and then they adapted that. And it is the third one. They're just like, no. It is the the nutty story of Michael Crichton. We're going to make this anyway. We'll probably adapt your book if you were to write one. Then we'll option it, and then we'll probably give you a crack at the first draft of the screenplay. Would you like to ignore twenty million (laughs) dollars and three paychecks? On the table, uh, <laughs> how's your integrity look now? And yeah, you know that yeah, story yeah. Ended. I'll just go create ER. How's that? <laughs> That's when he yeah. met Spielberg. He that he it was the project became ER. Oh wow! And he where they began to talk about Jurassic Park. And I love that Spielberg just like I can't believe it's taken anybody this long to figure out a way to bring dinosaurs in the modern world. That's. That's the sto- the dinosaur story that's missing. Is again my big researching takeaway from my life, nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety three. No big yeah. dinosaur movies. There was Baby really. and Land Before Time. That is it. And one of them is Spielberg. And <laughs> yeah. nothing. No one was interested but, in doing this. But this film changed everything oh, yes. in filmmaking. Uh, not just on the technical aspect, mm-hmm. but this film, in 1993, it's the first year where American films make more money outside of America mm. than they make inside of America. Mm-hmm. And after that, there is no turning back. The globalization of Hollywood is zooming ahead from here on out. It's not just any big budget movie is going to be geared towards the global audience more than the American audience because that's where the majority of the money is made. And 
Jurassic Park had a huge part in that. It was an international issue. Uh, so the GATT talks were going on, which is a huge free trade agreement. Mm. And they were trying to argue that movies should be part of that free trade agreement. But basically, France and a bunch of other European countries were like, no, we cannot compete mm -hmm. against Hollywood movies without our quotas. Uh, to give you an idea of what they were trying to throw up against uh, Jurassic Park, France made a big deal about its movie called Germinal, an adaption of the Emile Zola novel about oh. 19th century coal miners <laughs> and various French politicians made it a national issue and tried to save Frenchmen. You have to go see this film instead of Jurassic Park. It did not turn out well for <laughs> the film about 19th century coal miners. Wow. Wow. I uh, but yeah, this was huge. This film made more than the gross national product of Mozambique. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, ha I have a question Finally for you Finally sticking it to Mozambique. Though. Yeah. <laughs> so the book is hard sci-fi, and that's usually what Crichton does. He really is interested mm -hmm. in the science of things. Mm -hmm. I will argue this is a horror movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would argue does that make this that is the best horror movie of all time? I think it is the best horror movie, or at the very least, and very least this is the best monster movie of all time can we all agree on that Ooh, okay. oh yeah absolutely yeah 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 which because i love that it's like a good monster movie as always should have some kind of point uh it's not just cool monster it's the gundams yeah. or robots it's like no war is bad uh there should be like a point and there's a, a lot even though they change a lot of stuff from the book it's like the point still stands like you're not smarter than the dinosaurs and we shouldn't be doing this Yep. Even though we could. We should do this, by the way. I totally, <laughs> please, science, please do this. I would love it. I don't think you can, but yeah. I would totally yeah, and, like and, to and do I, it. Just taking a light glance at the highest grossing movies for the next couple years, like the the year we just covered, like Sister Act is the third highest grossing movie. We started the show, Crocodile Dundee is like the number <laughs> two movie in the world. Jurassic Park kind of ends that. You need to have a big, expensive, global phenomenon. And mm -hmm. as you... Spectacle. Spectacle. As you look on, like, nothing cracks the top 10 that is just a comedy anymore or anything like that. And, and to invest that type of money in a blockbuster, you probably want an IP people have previous awareness of. So it... it yeah, I wonder it, when, when the turning point, because it's somewhere in the late 90s, it might be a post-9-11 thing of when the, like... Arnold Stallone style action movie. Yes, True Lies. True Lies is right. '94, and then but but some and Con Air and, and The Rock. Like those are all in the next couple of years. But it's like there is a point after which it's like even this. It's like no, we need like spaceships or something right. here. Otherwise, people yeah. don't show up or a monster. But like just like a big military thing with like a, even a, a, the number two grossing movie of 1995 is Apollo 13, which is a uh, simple story, wow. but like bombastic yeah. special effects and and yeah. promoted by its use of CG. Uh, in Apollo 13. But I, I really feel like the dino special effects are more intimate and real yeah, yeah. to the human experience than spaceships. Like, yeah. what what is the largest animal any of you have ever stood in front of? An effelent. Elephant. Yeah. And, and yeah. whales, but like, you know, they're not... I when were you in front of an elephant? Um, I was but doing like, a little trafficking. Were, were there healing? bars between you and the elephant? Yes. Okay. I did ride what an elephant. No. The, Okay. I've ridden nope. an elephant. Yeah, I've ridden an elephant. I've okay, how was that? It's very big. Yeah. 
I still can't uh, look at an elephant and not see two guys in a suit. Their legs look too human. <laughs> so uh, when I was in Bali, I went to an elephant show, and they asked for volunteers from the audience. Of course, I raised my hand. I get picked. And the elephant, uh, they give me a giant ball for the elephant, and the elephant is going to walk towards me, take the ball out of my hand, and put it in a hoop, okay? So there's no chains on this elephant. This is something the elephant does every day. He has done this a million times before. He has what I interpret as a happy, smiley look on the elephant's face. To him, he's playing a game of fetch. But as this elephant is walking towards me, the sheer terror mm. that my body <laughs> starts pumping through me of just what the hell are you doing? This creature is coming towards you. This giant <laughs> monstrosity is getting closer and closer. And I, I I stayed there. I didn't ran away, but I don't think I've ever been that like primally mm -hmm. fearful in my life. Did you, did and you, could you feel him walking on the ground or anything like that? A yeah, cool. little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And it was just this film can capture that feeling, that primal scare and it is such an accomplishment yeah man if you've never seen any of those like not hard to find videos of an elephant going on a deadly stampede Ooh. he's not like ripping people with his tusk it looks like the way you would wade through water that is yeah. him instantly killing dozens of people or, an you know uh, a, a small dog you swatted away mm -hmm. you know it's, uh, it's an incredible. elephant swats you away like a small dog and you go flying 30 and feet in the air. Every time I watch this movie, I become more of an adult and I'm just like, never do this. Like I went from like, <laughs> this should, we should all have Jurassic parks in our hometown to like, please nobody ever do this. There's no way this goes well. Uh, and, nope. and there's no reason to do it. It's just too, too expensive, too unsafe. And that's why we clone the Dodo. There you They're go. not going to hurt anybody. <laughs> there you go. The mammoth would hurt someone. A but I still totally think we should someone. clone that. Yeah. What yeah. if we make them nice? Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, a great throwaway a gag. Mm. The great throwaway gag of Billy and the clone. Billy of Sword. and the <laughs> <laughs> and, So and funny. Who rants for what seems like ten minutes? <laughs> that fade away. That fade in and fade out thing. I don't know why more comedy doesn't do that. That is so funny. And, yeah. and, and the last thing I have to say at all about it. Um, my buddy. I had a buddy who was a huge fan of Jurassic Park. And he knew to go to Hawaii and take the Lost mm. tour because the yeah. show Lost was popular. And where Hurley drives the car around is the Gallimimus scene. And oh, yeah. the log is still there. And he, he chipped off a piece of the Jurassic Park log and took it back with him. And oh. yeah, you can still oh. see a lot of those, those sets. Yeah, leave Why? the log for everyone. Just jump over it and fall down. Nah, like they made the... ILM animators do to <laughs> they videotaped them running around the parking lot to see how oh, everyone would move. <laughs> that's another, that's like the only other shot where the dinosaurs interact. But yeah. when that T-Rex just bursts forward, you're like, your heart like leaps out of oh, your yeah. chest. Like, oh, like, oh my God. Like there he is doing what he does and, or she was doing what she does. And I'm just like, Oh, like, uh, it, it's just, yeah. and then you cut to, you know, today where it's like you know what's cooler than a t-rex a hundred t-rexes <laughs> actually All I, laser shooting out of their this eyes. is the last thing i'll say elston yeah. the wrestling logic applied to the rest of the jurassic park series because <laughs> they will show here's the t-rex remember he won the first movie and the third movie's like boom the the new dinosaur comes out and murders him and the it happens like you got to put spinosaurus over dogs. yes <laughs> every movie they try and establish that by like jobbing yeah. out the t-rex until they finally give him a moment where he swings yeah. in like fucking bret hart and kicks the, all the new guys asses <laughs> uh it's it's beautiful uh, jurassic park it's so, flawless it's wonderful it's great 
shortly before I rewatched this, I rewatched Fantasia, and there's a scene in that of yeah. dinosaurs. Yes. And to mm. me, that is probably the second best representation of dinosaurs before Jurassic Park. But mm. Jurassic Park just blew it out of the way so much. And I don't want to harp on this too much, but it did change all of cinema. And mm. I don't think we're ever going to see that again. I do not think mm. for the rest of our lives there will be any one film which will completely mm. change all of film. Because again, we've already established not in there's a fun, no top 10 movies without CGI. Not in a there's fun not. way. It'll be AI or cloning or something that we probably won't welcome as readily. Even AI, I definitely think we're right. going to get the first AI movies uh, within we a decade. We already have them. And, and, and also, like it, will, it won't be a global... F- there's nothing... I can predict that will make a movie a Jurassic Park level global phenomenon. What can a movie I, do? We're going to do a separate co- podcast on AI, mm. but basically I think AI will make movies cheaper, but I don't think it will fundamentally change the nature of movies right. the way Jurassic Park did. Jurassic Park sure. made us able to make movies that were impossible to bring things Jurassic to the screen Park. that no one thought, like literally no one thought possible. And it's like, I grew up, in an era of like Superman and we kind of got that every three years and it was really fun. And I kind of missed that. Um, I mean, at least as a fast and the furious movies, putting practical ridiculousness on screen every, every two years in a way that almost no other blockbuster is doing. And I, I think so much of, yeah, the change is for good and for ill for good in the, you know, the, the level of spectacle and, and the artistry of it all. And then, you know, for ill, it's like, yeah, when <laughs> three men and a little baby is never going to be the number right. one movie. No, last, ever, last ever year, a league of their own is the fifth highest grossing movie. That's just not going to work on a global level ever again. Yeah. Outside yeah. of like no. your, you know, the specific, like once in a, you know, five year zone of like, Oh, the hangover or bridesmaids or mm-hmm. maybe something about Mary was like, but even like, when you go look at like how much they grossed, because in my mind, like what a huge movie that was, and it's like, oh, oh, okay, I think it adjusted it's there as well, yeah. but like it wasn't yeah, like a nine hundred million dollar movie or something. Yeah, and also I don't think, but it does kind of make me sad that I don't think we'll see props built at quite this scale no. because that is some of my favorite footage is of mm-hmm. them with the full size T Rex robot. And the fact that, oh, they had to build it so they could put up with rain, and then that would weigh yep. it down, and then it would start getting the caffeine shakes. Yeah, yeah. That is <laughs> some of the best like, footage ever. Of, yeah, the yeah, T-Rex that full, is shuddering. Beautiful. Like, oh, yeah. Just uh, it's like, yeah, next now you're week, scared of me, buddy. <laughs> next week, we are going to talk about the last time Hollywood tried to make an all-practical blockbuster. Really? And it's one of the most notorious bombs of all time. Huh. Okay, I don't even know what that is yet. Um, yeah, I'm excited. But yeah, Jurassic Park was just a real watershed moment for me. My generation Star Wars, I know I said that about The Matrix, but it was in a different, this is a different way. I mean, yeah, in a different way. You could argue it's actually a, a later generation, I suppose. But mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. It's I mean, like that's six a whole years. Other, <laughs> it's it's crazy. Yeah, like walking it, I mean, yeah, that's a whole other change, watching it walking out of that theater. Like, I don't think that the Matrix people, effect didn't ripple through the entire industry of movie making. Oh, God. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to stand yeah. up for that movie that we're going to be talking I about. It was thoughts. a failure. Very good. I have thoughts. But yeah, thank yeah, you. I've, never, I've never seen that somehow in all my years. 
And if I could plug another podcast, that movie made it so the Hans and Franz movie didn't happen, and Conan O'Brien has reunited with Robert Smigel, Kevin Nealon, and Dana Carvey to read the script for the unproduced Hans and Franz Arnold starring really? musical. And I, it's hard to get people interested, but like this, when they catch you up, uh, Hans and Franz have been hired from their public access fitness show for calling Martin Luther King too flabby. Uh, and th- now they sit eating pieces of the Hollywood sign for sustenance to meet their cousin Arnold. Like, why? W- I want to see this right now. <laughs> I want to see this right now. So, okay. Well, there you and go. You it's can... the AI and the de-aging, and they'll they'll find a way to make that. <laughs> yeah, they could yeah. make that literally happen. They all have the time now. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, thank you so much for joining us, Elson. I I, yeah. I know this no movie problem. was as important to you as it was to me. It was where Elson and I are closer in age than. I am to Diane and Jr. So it's just very similar uh, for both of us. Uh, mm-hmm. Wanting dinosaurs and how nobody delivered that promise for like yeah, the, like just a left wide eyed and like oh I could be into this for another five years. Yeah, the dinosaurs were for B movies because they could only be brought about through special effects. Everyone can do, and mm-hmm. this changed like that. puppets from Carnosaur. That yeah. puppet from Carnosaur was pretty good. I left out puppets, but yeah, no. uh, the puppet from Super Mario Brothers was the best looking dinosaur in all of cinema. Yoshi, three weeks, for two ago. weeks, <laughs> two weeks. Oh, <laughs> uh, the, well, the only redeeming factor of that movie. Well, thank you so much. Do you have, even have anything to plug nowadays? No, no, just Jurassic Park's great. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Moving on to TV. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, let's, sorry, we do have, <laughs> that was not even the whole segment. We got TV to talk about, 1993, uh, June 9th through the 15th. Big as news as Jurassic Park, Scrabble ends. Uh, after, after almost 10 years on the air, I've never seen this. See, I didn't think I'd seen it at all, and then I looked up a YouTube video of it, and I was like, yeah, there was some time I was homesick from school with the flu, this was on, and it was like the subpar uh, Wheel of Fortune or yeah. the one with the whammies. It was just like mm. below below pressure luck. I mean, t- taking a, a, a unbiased look at the changing media landscape, like, oh my God, they've canceled all these daytime shows that have been on the air for 30 years, like... Those are all filler, and they're not good for you. And Scrabble is a perfect, <laughs> perfectly emphasizes what daytime TV looked like. A televised game of Scrabble. Holy shit. Words with friends with no friends. Uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to add this one in here. It's super boring, but I thought it has a little bit of crossover with me and Diana and you, JR, because we did a Patreon episode about uh, The Twilight Zone, also Spielberg is responsible for. Route 66 was a- an amazing series that sounded very similar to uh, a recent show I think Diane and I both liked. Oh my God, I forgot the name. Uh, Natasha, what's her name on Peacock? Holy shit, my brain. Poker Face, great show. Uh, One of the shows I very much like this year. It's a show starring someone Diana recently killed in 302010, George Maharis. And I went down the (laughs) rabbit hole and it has a consistent through line plot, but also has an anthology plot every week with special guest stars as the show just takes place along Route 66. And this week we have a reboot with Dan Cortez, son of uh, George Maharis. It lasts four episodes. Who cares? But I was more, I was going through George Maharis's bio, and then I think a Universal Monsters group, there's an episode that opening up with the most frightening thing I'd ever seen. It was like a grotesque hunchback creeping towards a kid's bed. And then he gets right to the kid and puts his hands on his face and like, oh, hey, Billy, I just wanted to see how you were doing. Grandpa, I'm like, that's Lon Chaney. And he confirms it because he gets a phone call from 
his friend Boris, played by Boris Karloff, who then has a three-way call with Peter Laurie, and they talk about playing <laughs> monsters in this very special episode of Route 66. So that's the only reason I'm mentioning it. The reboot lasts four episodes, but like, what wow. the fuck is this? I didn't have time to watch the whole thing, but I was transfixed. They play themselves. I'm sad I missed this yeah. because I actually remember watching the reboot back in 1993. Really? Yeah, I grew up on Nick and Knight. Route 66 was one of those shows mm-hmm. like Car 54, Where Are You, where I watched it because <laughs> it was on. And of course, I'm going to watch television over not watching television. But I was like, wow, they're rebooting that old Nick and Knight show. I got to watch it. And my 30-year-old memories is like, it was a decent reboot at the time. But obviously, it only lasted four episodes. I mean, if but I was just... If it's releasing A in the summer or up against Jurassic Park, like everything else here <laughs> is mostly being canceled because even TV shows wanted to get out of the way of the movie marketing machine of the summer. And, yeah. Now, yeah. You see, I thought the thing that relates to Route 66, besides the recent passing of George Maharis, who was the star until yes. he was caught having sex uh, in a bathroom with a man named Perfecto Tellies, <laughs> the best name of all time. I thought the thing that you were going to say affects uh, me and JR in particular is the one of the creators of Route 66 was Sterling Siliphant, who's a screenwriter he wrote in the heat of the night. And when he was out scouting, he met a fertilizer salesman. Wow! And a fertilizer salesman oh decided God. I could probably make a movie too, oh. and that's how we got Manos the Hands. <laughs> wow! Wow! I, amazing. As if the uh, show couldn't get any better and long. Uh, Jesus, as we're talking, I'm looking up Route 66 on YouTube, and all I'm getting is videos on why did America abandon Route 66? The rise and fall of Route 66. Why Route 66 died? It's simple. The interstates, but. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, the Blame highways. Eisenhower. It's the interstate system. And uh, yep. uh, also this week, Shining Time Station ends. It had been around since 89. Guess who stars in this? Lawrence Fishburne. No. Uh, nope. <laughs> I don't know. I'm confused already because I don't know the difference between Thomas the Tank Engine and Shining Time Station, and I thought they're the same thing, but they're not. Nope. Um, I know Shining Time Station had some interesting hosts. I feel like... Ringo was a host? No, that's... He was. Oh, a yes. God damn Beatle hosted <laughs> Shining Time Station. That wasn't Thomas? That means that, yes, Ringo Starr hosted Shining Time Station. So that means if you, like, cut all the spoken line dialogue of Ringo on Shining Time Station, it is going to dwarf the time of his recordings on the Beatles by a lot. <laughs> so in sheer volume... We have more of Ringo on Shining Time Station than we do in his Beatleology. Ass Oh my god! Yeah, no, I remember because I can't tell the difference between Shining Time Station and Thomas's Tank Engine because they're related, but I don't understand how necessarily. I know George Carlin was also a host. I think on Shining Time Station, which just makes me happy. And I think of all the little kids who are like, oh, I have such nostalgia for George Carlin. Let's put on this album. What is he saying? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. And then a um, little bit of sports news and Stanley Cup news. The Montreal Canadiens beat the LA Kings. The last time a Canadian team won for a sport yes! only they care about exclusively. Yes, mm. and it's shocking they beat the Kings because this is where the Kings said Gretzky, mm. Robitaille, like the Kings were... Uh, an unstoppable for, i mean they were like the chicago bulls of the 90s for yeah. hockey it, they were unstoppable and the fucking canadians managed to get them and i can't believe that a canadian team has not won that in shot. 30 years yeah and get your ass in gear canada a well, all, their, all their players are playing in the states 
And uh, then, then finally, I wanted to go out with a show I like. I don't think I watched so much of, and then never ever saw again. My, it's one of the few memories I have where it's standard definition, grainy and dark. Parker Lewis it didn't make syndication numbers. Yeah, Parker Aww. Lewis can't lose ends uh, in 1990, and very clearly marketed itself like what if Ferris Bueller was a show, and this teen talked to the camera, and people made cartoon noises when they did stuff. It it did, had cartoon logic, uh, and. Kind of made a huge impression of people my my age, my generation, and then just sort of disappeared. Yeah. yeah. There were only 73 episodes. It was literally facing off against the Ferris Bueller mm-hmm. series, and it lasted long, like three lasted. times as long. And then the, the, who's that actor who plays Kubiak? Every time I see him, I'm like, Koob! I think he was on <laughs> ER for like 10 seasons, but to me, he's Koob. Yep. Abra- I think it's Abraham Ben Ruby. He wow. has a lot of yeah. voices too because he's got a really good, deep, cartoony voice. Yeah. Yeah. He spoke like what? Mongo monosyllabically and always referenced himself. <laughs> Coop hungry. <laughs> it, it was a weird show. It was very surreal, but at the same time, it was willing to be uh, smart. Mm-hmm. Like uh, after the Ferris Bueller series was canceled, uh, they had an episode where the film crew pulled back and there were two. Uh, boys in the shadows and they were saying uh that's how they do it come on ferris let's get out of here and at one episode they're holding a sign saying thank you for not watching eerie indiana which was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah very sh- um, i know it's out there streaming but i remember trying to get it on dvd and it took forever and never came out complete so uh, yeah i missed it in america they never released the third season of parker lewis can't lose but it was released in europe and you know we always make fun of things like uh europe loves david Haas or whatever but (laughs) as part of my research i was trying to find who has done a retrospective on parker lewis no one except the french Mm -hmm. for some reason the french paid the entire main cast of parker lewis to fly to France, wow. spend some time there, and do a long-ass questionnaire about the show. And it's all in French. So the French host is asking the question, translating it to the English-speaking actors, getting their answers, then translating it into French for the French crowd. Amazing. I, I don't know why France loved it that much. I do not understand it. It's a good show. It's a lot of fun, you know? It's, it's a, a teen comedy, but it's also very cartoony and surreal and goofy things happen all the time and they just they'll just give up on <laughs> plus i remember that's like one of my few things that i remember about it is how like there would just be an interactive problem and they would li- literally give up and just be like can we say we solved that okay everything's happy now all right cool we i liked how hot, how hot their <laughs> like principal that. was and every time she slammed her door the glass broke and flew everywhere it, yeah. and, and and did I, you guys ever go synchronize your swatches because i tried to get my friends to never, do worked. That and oh. never worked never worked <laughs> and uh and speaking uh, of his uh, european but, fame i always say this uh, my uncle, you know, he li- he lived in my house when I was a little kid, and then just decided to like, well, let's see what other careers are out there. Ends up working in Bulgaria, and of the two highlights, one might be meeting his wife, the mother of his children, or having a role in the Corin Nemec Parker Lewis starring movie Mansquito because they needed English speakers. He's the one who gets to say they fundamentally fundamentally altered the DNA of this man in the movie Mansquito, where his uh, last name is misspelled. But uh, that's that's the Antista claim to fame, movie-wise. That's all we got. Wow. So I did watch the season series finale for this. Oh. And in the very last episode, Parker Lewis loses. 
Really? He's, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The title is a lie. Uh, the last episode is them trying to save the diner where they all hang out, and then it morphs into a clip show. And the final is them faxing the governor trying to get the uh, diner preserved as a national landmark. And the fax that gets back just says, nope. And then <laughs> the wrecking balls come in. Wow. And, and uh, 1940s music is played as the place is destroyed. So he <laughs> lost. He lost. <laughs> but that's the kind of daring stuff you could do on Fox. Because if you're a Fox show getting canceled in 1993, there are so few people watching the, your show, including the executives. You can get away with murder. Uh, let's move into some video games of 1993 because they are also stupid uh, and great. Uh, Barney's hide and seek game comes to Genesis. Oh, jeez, this is barely a game. This is uh, this is one of those games where you're playing Barney. You find the kids who are not really hiding that well. I gotta say, these kids suck at hide and seek. It's mm. like I'm standing behind a bush at my full height, and half of my body is outside of the bush. And you're playing Barney, and you find them, and all three buttons on the Sega Genesis pad shoots hearts and you can't even jump. There's not a jump button. You just move towards something and it jumps automatically. All all you can do is, is shoot hearts. I saw a T-Rex jump in the previous thing we talked about. (laughs) You realize this game is literally for four year olds. That's true. What (laughs) crazy, but you do get to hear Barney's perfect. 16-bit voice. Can ride on the turtle. Look, it's a present. Oh boy, a ball. Never ever does a thing for me. Public domain music. This is what are you doing? <laughs> so we don't have to pay anybody who wow. writes our songs. This reminds me of the only time I got thrown out of an FAO Schwartz. <laughs> what? It just having Please Barney expand. and Jurassic having Barney and Jurassic Park together. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, me and my friends. We're dirtbag teenagers. We went to a fancy FAO Schwartz South Coast Plaza in South, Southern California, which is a fancy mall. And uh, they had a Barney puppet and they had uh, a raptor puppet. And Barney is sweet and cuddly and the raptor is big wow. and scary. And and I did uh, kind of a Faustian drama with them okay. about <laughs> the devil trying to lure Barney to the dark side. And um, finally, they asked us to leave. <laughs> wow uh and then also this week one of my favorite forgotten series mutant league football debuts i think this Ooh. is the debut yeah if you don't have the nfl license the best you can do is make them a bunch of monsters who can kill each other on the field and i think we that's gotta, brilliant how is. have i never yeah. heard of this it, it's because i think it was made by ea who eventually kind of locked down all the sports license so like why why double? Why overlap in our and what we're yeah. pu- we're putting out there? And I think years later, somehow the rights got away from me, and someone tried to revamp it, but it was too late. It should have oh, kept it's going. Like an awesome the sc- idea. Yeah. The, the screenshots are kind of weak, though. I can't really yeah. tell what kind of monsters they are. Well, they like Space Jam monsters, you know. They're yeah. green people. Uh, the field is covered in landmines, spike pits. <laughs> you can bribe the referee, and then the referee can be killed if the other team disagrees with his calls. I mean, it's it's a black comedy. It, it even it's got adorable. an animated uh, TV show for two seasons. Oh, mm. I love it. <laughs> and then lastly in games, Action 50, 52 for Genesis. We have a commercial. Say, hey, man, I'll help you out. No worries, no. Hey, 
guys, we have work to do. We come from the Action 52 game world where every game is... Yeah, we're talking action and lots of it. We got space, dragon, adventure, even war games. Yeah, dude, we even got rescue games and man, they're smooth like ice. These are all cheetah people telling you, uh, we don't have one good game. We have 52 passable ones. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know why gamers are like so obsessed with scores and why they will threaten to burn down a reviewer's house if it's an 8.7 versus an 8.8? Probably because they got burned by this game. Mm. Okay, Mm. picture it. It's 1993. You don't really have the ability to see video games in action. You just have to spend all your money on the game. And if you're a little kid, your little kid logic is this is 52 games. That's more games than I get in five years. I'm going to spend all my money on this one game that's going to give me 52 games, and then I'll be happy for years and years and years. And guess how much this game cost in 1993? Ooh, what, what, what? Oh, okay. Well, the average game still costs $50, $60, 50, even yeah. in 92 dollars Somewhere around Okay. Yeah. 75? Chris? 120. $200 in 1993 money, which is $400 today. That is a PlayStation 5, I believe, or close to it. I mean, digital version. uh, Again, you're you're the kid in 1993. You beg your parents, Daddy, Mommy, buy me for this my birthday and Christmas. You'll never have to buy me a game again. I'll I'll never need another game again. You plug yeah, it that, in. That makes sense. It's like four, you, you should be able to get four games for that. Instead, you're getting 52. It's like wow. instead of buying me Market, one book, you got me smart. Encyclopedia Britannica. That's how they sold. People were really good at selling their parents on this idea of like, you're saving money. I'm I, saving you money by doing this. I don't think so. And then the oh, heartbreak man. comes. Yeah. Every game sucked. <laughs> Every game on the Action 52 is garbage to play. Yeah. Well, and I, I feel so bad for that 1993 kid who plays one game. Oh yeah, uh, that, that rich kid who got like my parents wouldn't spend four hundred dollars on my shit in in four years. Like, uh, I never got that many games. So I, I guarantee you, there's some kid who was like, "This will be all my presents," mm-hmm. or who mm-hmm. spent all of his money and he tries the first game and it sucks. Okay, maybe that's the first game, second one, and the growing dread as game mm-hmm. after Do game. Do I want a Super Nintendo game. or 50 games? Oh, I want to decide. And- oh man, I'm just looking at just at the Wikipedia article, and this is the Genesis release, and they're saying this mm-hmm. is the better version. If the NES one mm-hmm. is listed as um, maybe one of the worst games of all time. And that's where the cheetah. <laughs> come from but then moving on to some brief comic book news from 30 years ago the conclusion of marvel comics infinity trilogy uh i'm baffled on this because i really fell off of like every infinity thing they did after gauntlet Uh, i loved infinity gauntlet and thanos quest to me that was just like the most genius marvel has ever been before since in my own personal experience i just love both of those i i reread them so many times and then i read infinity war and i was like well this is okay and infinity crusade i was like i don't wanna mm-hmm. it's, I, it's 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 I don't it's almost like you're this. cheapening the original concept and the stakes that's that... <laughs> exactly what it was yeah and uh then yeah let's close out with music uh 30 years ago June, June 9th to the 15th. That's uh, that's the way Love Goes by Janet Jackson. Still number one, but we got new releases, including Emergency on Planet Earth, the debut of Jamiroquai, uh, Liberator by OMD, 14 songs by Paul Westerberg. That's an album. 
dance, <laughs> Dancing the Blues with Taj Mahal, Unplugged by Neil Young, uh, The World Should Know by uh, Burning Spear, Psycho Derelict by Pete Townsend, Transmissions from a Satellite Heart uh, by The Flaming Lips, and Me Tierra by Gloria Stefan. The only interesting thing I read in going back in time, um, Unplugged wasn't a cra- as crazy a television phenomenon as it really started to move albums. I think oh, by yes. the by the end of the year, there's like five unplugged albums in like the top ten charts, and it's just like everybody wants to record an unplugged album at this point. Whereas oh, I don't yeah. think MTV's viewers were so super good. stoked, and they, and they put out compilation ones too. Yeah. I had like a couple of the compilation ones that were amazing. They're like, well, maybe you don't want to hear all of Katie Lang, but this one track will make you cry. So here you go. Here we go. Constant. And then craving. in December, we're getting the biggest one of them all. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Ooh. I know what you're talking about. Wait. And, We've already had, I thought, the biggest one of them all with Eric Clapton. Is there a bigger one? There There is definitely, in my opinion, a bigger one. Yeah, bigger one for me. I wasn't sneaking Eric Clapton's Unplugged into my fucking math classes. Uh, Oh. Oh. Yeah, you got it. Diana got got it. it. Let me go get my fuzzy green sweater. I got it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But with all that music, uh, well and good, we're going to close out the Jurassic Park theme because I think we said it off mic. Yes. John Williams, it... It is a truly amazing score. Like every single piece of it, it's awesome. It gives me goosebumps in a way that the Star Wars score doesn't necessarily do anymore. Uh, We were talking like if you look through the top 50 movies, like John Williams is the only consistent name with that. And somehow he reaches a high point with Jurassic Park that I can't really explain. Without nostalgia, I think this is probably his second best score of all time. You're going with Indiana Jones then, I'm guessing? I am. I knew it. I, 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 that's not my Indiana Jones nerddom. Mm. I really think the Indiana Jones score is that good. I'm a Harry Potter I, six guy. No, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's a tough call for me. I, I, in no particular order, I would do Raiders of the Lost Ark and Superman. I think people mm. forget how good Superman is as a theme. Yeah. It really and and it has Superman and Jurassic Park kind of go together, and that they both have like a real weight to them. Like this is some momentous shit that is happening. You're gonna see the most oh. important thing you've seen on screen of the decade, and, and somebody has to score that, and it's always John Williams. Oh. The man yeah. has talent. I mean, what other filmmaker has twenty five? billion dollars in grosses from his movies so let's close out this segment with a jurassic park theme it's been one of our longest ever but i think you can understand why but stay right there we got another we got a trilogy to close out when we get back Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on patreon.com slash laser time. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. Why do you see Alan over here to yeah. tell me more about not only a trip to Japan, the, the most recent person I know to go to Tokyo Disney Sea, biggest, bestest, most expensive Disney theme park in the entire world, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Most expensively built, maybe not to visit right now with the strength of the dollar. Hey, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to Tokyo Disney Sea twice to the point where, ask me if I'd go again. Would you go again, Chris? I don't know that I would. That place has three hour lines for everything. Well, the thing that I did, because the ticket 
you know, with the with the conversion rate and stuff like that, the the ticket itself to the park was only seventy dollars. Damn, really? Which, which is like half as expensive as Disneyland. Yeah. Get bonus time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just five dollars on Patreon.com/LaserTime. Coming into 2003 with Stacy's Mom by Fountains of Wayne off of Welcome Interstate Managers. Fountains of Wayne. I don't know if this was not my introduction to them, but uh, interesting approach to pop rock. I'll say that. I, this song uh, I found kind of annoying. but I did a big re-listen to them after Adam Schlesinger died from mm. COVID in uh, spring of 2020. Right. I think he was the first decent-sized celebrity who died, and that fucking sucks because, man, Fountains of Wayne is fun. <laughs> they're just they're fun. They're they're real fun. They're really like clever. Some of the lyrics are like very very clever. And he wrote that thing you do. I mean, mm-hmm. it's one of the yeah. best movie songs ever. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love Fountains ac- of Wayne. According to the author of the song, the inspiration came from one of his childhood friends thanking his grandmother. Wow, wow. Ooh. Okay. Okay, uh, I can see it, but yeah, June other June 9th to the 15th releases 20 years ago in 2003. We got Bear by Annie Lennox, Blackout by Dropkick Murphys, Dance With My Father by Luther Vandross, Everything Must Go, the last album by Steely Dan. What? It was yeah. 20 years ago? Self-titled by Joe Budden and the self-titled album by Justin uh, Garani and Hail to the Thief by a little band called Radiohead. I think this might be Luther's last big hit, mm. too. We, we have Luther for another couple of years, but this, this was a this was a big oh my god how many how many wedding dances were to dance with my father? <laughs> Don't know. Uh, Twenty one oh. questions by Fifty Cent featuring Nate does still number one. A little bit of news to bring you to the world of 20 years ago, June 9th to the 15th. The Spirit Rover is launched, uh, beginning NASA's Mars Exploration Rover Mission. Yay! It's different yeah. from the Mars thing we talked about last week? Yeah, completely different. Okay. This uh, uh, That one was orbiting. This lands on the planet, which is like 10 times harder to do. Right, okay. Drives around for about six years, and then it gets stuck in a sand trap <laughs> in late 2009. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was built to last like three months, mm-hmm. and it just kept going. And we'll talk about Opportunity Landing uh, a little bit, too. And that one really keeps going. It has a oh. really, really good documentary about him called Goodnight Oppie. Mm-hmm. The all should look out for it's really really interesting but yeah getting into the nitty-gritty of like you send a signal and then you wait and then yeah. then a picture comes back and then you wait <laughs> and yeah spirit rover just kept going man he's a tough little dude and then uh moving on to the movies of 2003 nothing as big as jurassic park but maybe for this year finding nemo is a real dominant force of the box office and it's still number one this week i guess you'll see why as we continue <laughs> forward uh, yeah. Not a great week for movies in the summer 20 years ago. A very disappointing movie. Luis Guzman, Mimi Rogers, Eugene Levy, uh, Eric Christian Olsen, Derek Richardson. Dumb and Dumberer when Harold met Lloyd. The sequel to Dumb and Dumber you wanted, although warped in a by Rod Serling into a prequel that you did not want. A prequel that I, I'll admit I didn't get around to watching this, but the a prequel that seems to, because they're high school students, seems to hang a lot on the idea of special ed kids mm-hmm. okay uh, so i threw myself on the grenade oh, all right thank you. I, you're welcome 
there should be a statue to me. Yes. Okay. I was the biggest Dumb and Dumber fan in 1994 i guess we'll talk about it next year maybe and i loved it i think it's a genius work of comedic gold i never saw dumb and dumber because i heard such horrible things about it even in 2003 i was like i don't want to ruin my memories of one of my favorite comedies of all time so i've gone 20 years without watching it and then for this i was like all right just check it off Mm -hmm. check it off oh it is not good and you know when a action movie, even when a romance movie is bad, you can kind of do interesting things with how bad it is. Bad comedies are just bad. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think anyone watches a bad comedy for bad movie nights because it's the jokes don't land. The timing's off. They do definitely skirt the line of making fun of special needs. They get around it by none of the people actually being special needs. The, mm. what, the plot of the film is the principal is greedy. He's trying to embezzle special needs funds. So he starts a fake special needs class with Harry and Lloyd, who I guess are not technically special needs. And then they recruit a bunch of other people who just want to skip class. So, it's just uh... like, come to this class. We know, well, Harry and Lloyd don't know because they're dumb, but everyone else is just going to the special needs class so they don't have to go to school so they can just make out uh, with their girlfriends during the class or whatever. So it's not quite making fun of actual special needs things. Okay. But they do ride like a super short bus, like mm. a ridiculous short somehow bus. Somehow the interpretation than- in the, the Dumb and Dumber trilogy, <laughs> the interpretation became we need to give them a weird car. That's a signature mm. thing in the series and it technically is now we have three of them out so dumb yeah i haven't seen the the new one either just for the exact same reason i didn't hear good things it, it about sort it. of makes this one look not as bad because th- okay. there there was a i think there was just the perfect amount of juggling between this is a cartoon but this still has heart and you care about these guys that they're not invincible idiots and then yeah I love the first Dumb and Dumber, but I I watched this once. Other than Eric Christian Olsen's impression, or is he the one who plays him? Yeah, Eric Christian Olsen playing Jim Carrey's Lloyd. It's very good, but uh, it's not the same. It wasn't Jim Carrey. Yep, wasn't you know, Jim Carrey. it's one of those things where Jim Carrey is the only one who could play Lloyd Christmas. Lloyd Christmas. He is. Well, know. speaking of uh, people you revere, I'm going to default to you on this one because I hated this shit and refused to watch it again. Uh, yep. Gladys Knight, Master P, Lolita Davidovich, oh, David. And Keith David, just stop there. Keith David. Just stop there. Give him $800 and say go out to dinner. <laughs> Isaiah Washington, <laughs> Bruce Greenwood, Lena Olin, Josh Hartnett, and Harrison Ford. Hollywood Homicide. On the toughest case of his career, Detective Joe Gavilan has been assigned a new partner. How'd you find me? I'm psychic. Really? No, not really. I'm a detective for Pete's sake. But this is not the kind of action Casey Colvin is used to. Stella! Stella! What we got, Leon? I think it was a professional hit. Anyway, what I remember about growing up is that Harrison Ford was kind of extremely careful of the roles he took, and every Harrison Ford movie was kind of a big deal. And this was one of the first times Mm -hmm. I was like, this could have been anybody, and this movie got panned. I, I don't remember Harrison Ford receiving bad criticism until now. Hollywood Homicide. Yeah, Very. it's disappointing. Like, it's, I'm bumpy. Not, I'm not bummed for Harrison Ford as much as I'm bummed for Ron Shelton, who this is, he's it, it's starting to not work out for him as much because he had some fucking bank. Like, 
I will never shut up about how good Bull Durham is. And I hate <laughs> baseball. Bull Durham is fucking great. And he's made a whole bunch of movies that I think are really fucking great. And this is just like, uh, I mean, they're starting with, they built the movie out of the premise that they found out a lot of LA cops have other jobs to add to their salary to make ends meet, which is kind of funny because I just looked it up. The base police detective salary for the LAPD is 77 grand. So mm. boo fucking who I know that's, that doesn't go as far in LA as it would go somewhere else, but really you're going to distract yourself by selling real estate or auditioning. That's different. Like that, that could be a fun movie, a cop who wants to be an actor and tries to balance the two tries to go out for auditions while he's also doing cases. Like there's more there that they could do with Josh Hartnett's character, but it's just like, it's a mismatched buddy cop comedy with this extra crap thrown on top. And then the murder is like extra complicated really unnecessarily you know this is like this gang hit with these like beefing rappers and stuff and who's a guy and also josh hartnett's dad was killed and i wonder if that's gonna come up and it's like guys pare it the fuck down pick one or two of those and run with it and maybe just maybe add funnier jokes the that, the people i the people i really feel bad for are the citizens of los angeles because yeah. swat the italian job and this film we're all shooting on the street of Los Angeles at no. the exact same time. Oh, no. Uh, it think was much, get in all over again. Yeah. Think how much chaos and traffic for those three films. Poor fucking delivery people. Unbelievable. Oh, God. Unbelievable. Yeah, Hollywood homicide. Yeah. I'm just going to just bump this. And uh, the next movie I saw in theaters weirdly, despite <laughs> not having much interest. Huh. I just weirdly, in my personal case, I saw three movies as Really long time, good platonic friend. I saw th the last movie I saw with her. She took me to Mulholland Drive and had to yeah. explain to me the ending. This is uh. the next movie she takes me to <laughs> for some reason because she's a fan. I still have to explain the ending. I, just, I have to give them. I have to give them props for having the bulls to put another animated movie out within yes. a week or two of Finding Nemo. But yeah. they didn't know. They didn't know what they were getting into. And it's the beginning of the end, a lot of stuff. So Bruce Willis, Dion Kwan, Nancy Cartwright, Elizabeth Daly, got some Tim Curry in there, I'm sure. It's the end of the Rugrats trilogy. Rugrats go wild. When the Rugrats go overboard. Legends will meet. Where'd you come from? Spike. Hey, hey! Will speak. Could you give a dog a little warning? And trouble. Will meet her double. Should I stay or should I go? Rugrats go wild, featuring the voice of Bruce Willis and wow. Spike. Yeah, baby, that's what I'm talking about. So yeah, if you're a little kid, I'm in my 20s here. So if you're a little kid, I get why this is. Awesome. And it really is kind of novel. Like one of the, I didn't know the wild thornberries at all. I knew the Rugrats. I'd never seen the wild thornberries, but one of them can talk to animals. So they cast Bruce Willis as the voice of the Rugrats dog who's never spoken in yeah. nine seasons or whatever. But I, I did one. I, I, Klasky Chupo style is very ugly to me, but it's somehow beautiful in feature, like their feature length movies are just so odd to look at. I, I can't look away, but like at the simultaneously wild thornberries and rugrats are ending right now. And I think rocket power. And this is the last movie they make. And 
they had ridden the entire decade as this animation powerhouse who helped launch The Simpsons and just kind of insane. And this is kind of the end for this company and uh, these characters. The Rugrats obviously will be brought back in various ways that I don't know or care about uh, throughout Nickelodeon's tenure. But like the original show of both of these, I don't, I don't think they intended it to be the end. But here we are. Uh, Rugrats Wild Thornberry's crossover. Great. Great. Mm. I, and I still don't think it managed to achieve number one at the box office. Nope. No, and it did not. Even though it had smell of vision with them. It did steal smell of vision. I saw John the John Waters quote like it's a nice tribute, but a check would have been much better than a tribute. But uh <laughs> New Line had forgot to copyright o- Odorama. Um, ah, so they yeah, to throw which is a fun, that's the kind of gimmick kids fucking love. The oh, idea yeah. that it's like, there's a scratch and sniff card that comes with the movie and a little thing flashes and you scratch ha- it and like, oh, wow, it smells like a scotch. You yeah. had to get them at Blockbuster or Burger King, two places I love to go and my parents weren't always very receptive to taking me to. So I was, ex- I would have been ecstatic if I was a kid. I know I'm brushing it off, but I'm not the demographic. Tell us what you think but, on the website yeah, how- I'm constantly fixing. Is it though? Is it? It's, it's good? <laughs> totally disposable. It's for kids. It's a. It's a. I don't know. I, I felt nothing going in and out of it, and I refused to watch it again. But it's not for me. I, I'd never met the wild thornberries, and I'm sure if I was a kid, I'm like, why do these cartoons look exactly the same and have nothing to do with one another? Here's your pseudo solution. They're here together, and it's a great place to take the Rugrats, and it's a great place to take the wild thornberries, even though they're kind of in their element. Not a yeah. terrible thing to do if you're trying to get in my opinion, trying to get a little more uh, out of your franchises that are on the air. But that didn't happen. Like the the shows, I have to imagine they're done with these seasons of, there would be some episodes that air after this, but not after 2003. They may have like one in the barrel they air the next year. But like, I think work on both shows are done. And wouldn't you imagine they were trying to get a little more work out of this by putting together one movie? They didn't market it as a finale. Yeah, mm-hmm. they they both have a year left mm-hmm. before they're officially off the air, which means, yeah, they're probably winding down production now. No, no, like when it looks like they have a year left, that's because like one 15-minute well, yeah. episode will trickle into 04. Like mm-hmm. in three months, all these shows are done, which in animation means these people, these people are all home. They are yep. not making any more episodes by the time the movie comes out. Yep. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I think kind of an odd end. If I was a, more of an expert or cared more, there's probably an interesting story here. Let us know. I, w- I wouldn't mind hearing it because Klasky Chupo fucking just irritates and fascinates me to no end. The animators behind this, the former husband and wife animation uh, powerhouse. And speaking of that, TV, TV 20 years ago, June 9th to the 15th, The Grim Adventures of Bill and Mandy debuts on Cartoon Network, a show I only recently found out is pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's one because I was working swing shifts. Uh, I was just getting home at like midnight, 1 a.m. back then. That too. I'm and, getting home at like 1030 at night uh, at this point yeah. from work. And so yeah, a lot of the time my TV was already on com- Cartoon Network or I would just start flipping around and be like, oh, I like the design of this. What's this? Is that... Is, is death a main character on this children's show? It's like, yeah, yeah, it is. And it's funny. This is also where we get the meme. No one is born cool except, and then insert joke here. Mm. Um, So like courage, the cowardly dog, the goal was to make scary things fun. Mm. I actually have only ever seen the pilot of this show. Do you think they do that? A, A little bit. It's, it's, you know, in a Halloween sort of child-friendly kind of way that there was sometimes there'll be something weird and scary or monstrous. I, I completely forgot, yeah, that it was, this could anyway be scary when I was watching it. It's just yeah. the premise you accept. a tiny baby, then yeah. Right. No, no, I meant like, you know, Courage the Cowardly Dog. That's not really scary. It's making yeah. 
scary things funny. No, but it brings in a lot of scary elements where this, the ones I saw, it doesn't really have like a monster of the week formula. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, but a, again, I saw some sporadic episodes thanks to dating a younger woman. There I yeah. said it. They get the Grim Reaper to be their enforced labor person Easy. by winning a game of. Ch- a uh, game against him, right? Yes. I think that's how, uh, a yeah. direct reference to Bill and Ted's bogus journey and nothing else, Diana. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was wondering, did the seventh seal do that, or is there like some ancient folklore tradition? Hmm. I I for lack of a better word, for our generations, mm-hmm. I think the seventh seal popularized that enough, and then Bill and Ted kind of carried that <laughs> to then, a place where I'm aware every, of it. Yeah, then everybody references that, mm-hmm. and then. Or everyone references Seven Seal, or then they reference something that referenced Seven Seal, and then it's Seven Sealception. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then other yeah, cartoon Gr- network. Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. It has a really weird, distinctive style too. Where it's like the characters are like half outlines. Mm-hmm. Like the outlines are so thick on every character, and it. also the Grim Reaper is Jamaican. Why not? <laughs> and uh, also in Cartoon Network news, Samurai Jack, the season for what was the final season for a very long time uh, of Samurai Jack gets its premiere with Samurai versus Ninja. Oh, this is so artistically brilliant. Jack is a samurai. He's dressed all in white. He's fighting a ninja dressed all in black. At the very end of the battle, Jack says, you have been trained in the darkness. I've been trained in the light. And then in this gorgeous fight, they move from the light where Jack is invisible to the dark where he is visible, but the ninja is invisible, but he is invisible in the darkness. And it's such artistic brilliance. I mean, every episode of Samurai Jack is like a mini Kurosawa movie. It's mm-hmm. really well done. And, and I, ugh, I hate how little I've seen of it. There's just here and there. I didn't have Cartoon Network at this point. Uh, but oh. Gendy Kartatowski is absolutely amazing. And it's just, I think the only time in history it's revived, how many years later? Like uh, 2017 for a fifth season? And they mm-hmm. move it to Adult Swim. So all of a sudden, the fifth season of the show is has grown with the viewers watching it and capable of pulling. And, and I, I say that as someone who I love Primal. If you have not seen it, it got another season. The no-talking man and his, you know, uh, a dinosaur friend. They are friends, but occasionally fight over food. There's no dialogue, and it's wonderful. And it makes me, every time I see it, like, put Samurai Jack down. I need more of this so bad. I was a huge fan when it first came out, mm-hmm. and I had the hardest time convincing my Japanese students that it was an American TV show. Oh, really? Because, <laughs> yeah, no, they were like, obviously, this is Japanese. What are you talking about? And I was like, showing them the guy's name. No, this is who made it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Just show them a picture of Gendy, and you'll see the difference. Other things I didn't see, the Even Stevens movie, Shia LaBeouf and Christy Carlson Romero bringing their... Shena- Disney Channel shenanigans to the big screen? No, it was on television. No, nah. nah, it's, yeah. it's a TV movie, but, yeah. you know, Shia's coming off of Holes, which did really, really well. So, you know, yeah, let's, blow up, yeah. let's, let's do a little special event for the, the TV show. Why not? Yeah. And then something yeah. I was watching, Futurama 300 Big Boys. I was yes. just thinking yes. about this the other day because I saw Hummingbird and I started laughing about it. <laughs> oh, this is this is such a brilliant episode for our listeners who do not know and 
please go watch it if you don't know. This is the episode where everyone gets a $300 from the government and they all decide to spend it in different ways. Bender is debating whether he should have one $300 sex bot or $301 sex bot. (laughs) (laughs) And Fry decides that he's going to get 100 cups of coffee. And some of those cups of coffee are whale sized. Like it's a, it's a c- cup that's shaped like a whale, and that's $3. And the little mini espressos are $3. But he keeps drinking coffee throughout the episode. And back in the days when I used to be addicted to caffeine, there were definitely days when I would go into Starbucks. And if it was an option, I would say whale sized coffee, please. Mm. But he, <laughs> he pounds them and pounds them. And then there's a t- counter. And every time he drinks one, the counter goes up. <laughs> And then at the very end of the episode, there's a fire and he's must drink coffee during the fire. And then once it hits 100, this happens. (laughs) Wow. Wait a second. This is the Quicksilver scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it is the Quicksilver scene. In the actual Futurama, they don't play that music, but they oh, absolutely okay. should. It's, it's a joke, and it fits perfectly, because you cannot watch this scene and then watch the Quicksilver scene back-to-back without wow. be going like, well, obviously they ripped off Futurama. The animation on Fry increasingly shaking from the caffeine is beautiful. Uh, wow, and then in some stupid sports news in the Stanley Cup, the New Jersey Devils ah. beat the Mighty Ducks. Boo. Uh, this, this isn't stupid. It's finals time. God damn it. I know, People but the Mighty Ducks are the only this. team I ever knew that I, I don't know anything about hockey. Oh, come on. And we get New Jersey in both the Stanley Cup and the NBA finals, and they, they go one for two. Right. But what happened? Did Emilia Estevez just get depressed and not inspire his team of uh, misfits or something? Yeah, he didn't, they didn't wanna... flock together. Didn't want to be there for a third season. That, that works on two accounts of Mighty Ducks. Uh, NBA finals. San Antonio beat the uh, New Jersey Nets. The MVP is Tim Duncan of the Spurs. Yay. And uh, the the game we're talking about that came out 20 years ago, and I'm, I was hella confused by this because I somehow don't remember it at all, D- Donkey Kong Country for GBA. Not Donkey Kong Land, the beloved series from Game Boy, Donkey Kong Country. Is this a direct port? Yeah, yeah. This is the GBA taking Super Nintendo games and adding a tiny bit of pizzazz. It didn't quite have the power of the Super Nintendo. So if you're like a total graphics geek, you're going to be like, ah, they changed this and that. But it's another one of those great instances of the GBA where I'm just like, well, I should have been playing this in 2003. They add little touches like Donkey Kong doesn't have an amazing story, Mm -hmm. but they throw in a little bit. The most interesting thing I learned about this is that Rare purchased computers to make this game. Do you know where they got those computers from? Oh, It was for a movie that we just talked about. No. In 2003, they purchased the computers that were used to make Jurassic Park. What? To render... Donkey Kong Country. Now, wow. I could that may have been the first Donkey Kong Country, so my dates may be slightly off, but they did purchase the Jurassic Park hilarious. computers to make Donkey Kong Country. And then uh, lastly in this segment, man, really went through this fast, thanks to all the caffeine <laughs> Jurassic Parking, uh, Living History by Hillary Rodham Clinton is out this week on bookshelves. Yeah, this is this is her 
unofficially officially announcing she's running for president mm. you know yeah, this well, is she, she just became senator you know and so that that was pretty cool of like oh she's got a real job herself she's a senator from new york but everyone went crazy for this because she's gonna talk about the scandal that was everything everyone wanted to hear. It was just like, let's just skip to the Lewinsky chapters. We don't care about the rest. I actually read this in uh, January of 2008, along with uh, Barack Obama's book, not Dreams of My Father, the other one he wrote when mm -hmm. he was running. And right. I, I just was really trying to get a comparison of the two Ooh. candidates at the time. And it was not a bad memoir. Honestly, it's trying to thread the needle. It's trying to, you know, hey... Look at all these personal storytelling. Doesn't that convince you that as a senator and a feminist first lady, I could be president? Eh? Mm -hmm. Eh? Mm -hmm. Eh? Mm. But it, I don't remember it as being, like, actively bad. Hmm. Would have been interesting if she ran in 2004. Yeah. What, well, yeah. She didn't have been. the experience, honestly. Uh, yeah, she had just become a senator, like, just when this book came right. out so yeah i guess but well no no need starting here to go over alternate timelines with hillary clinton um oh, no lord let's close out the 20 years segment 2003 with dance with my father by luther vandross grab your daughter or father and throw them onto the dance floor stay right there we got to talk about some huge movies even in a jurassic park context right after this if i could get another Another walk, another dance with him. I'd play a song that would never, ever end. How I'd love, love, love to dance with my father again. Mr. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of June 9th through 15th, we got two movies hitting 50 that are, well, one is a really strong recommend and one is more of a recommend for the entire series because this week in 1973, we saw the release of Battle for the Planet of the Apes, the fifth and final of the original Planet of the Apes series. Man, did they put these out fast. They, that's five and six years. I think that's just crazy. No, five and five. Yeah, I think the first one's 68. 68. Yeah, so I'm just going to let Chris come in on this. Because okay, this fine. is This is the one that <laughs> I have not it. seen because I have not heard good things. So, yeah, the Planet of the Apes series was always a huge success. They wanted to end it after each one, but they made a ton of money. But the approach to sequels was to have their budgets with every single movie. And that really shows here what, what began as a special effects tour de force kind of became like a really dark episode of more Twilight zone than the Rod Serling original script. And what I appreciate about them is everyone is about a different thing. Like Charlton Heston stumbles upon a Planet of the Apes, figures out it's Earth. The next movie is, hey, there's people underground worshipping a bomb left over from the remnants of society. The world explodes. Then the apes are warped into the present of 1971, and apes have to deal with society. How do humans deal with a simian species that might be a smart... Not well. Baby gets shot in the face at the end of that movie, and then... Yeah, I was going to say, does this one have an ending that sets up more, or does it have a downer ending by blowing up the world or shooting a baby? It introduces Ricardo Montalban, who is great in the fourth movie, probably the best Planet of the Apes sequel. Yeah. Uh, 
what is it? No, it's not Escape. Conquest. It's the big war and the one with the most current societal over overtones that, that all dogs and cats have died and Ape replaced them as pets and then eventually as slaves. And Caesar comes around and leads a revolt against humans. And then the fifth movie sees the apes living amongst humans in tacit agreement, kind of. <laughs> the gorilla uh, general thinks, fuck these humans. They're just going to do it again. We can't live amongst these people. we got to start a war. And they do. But since the budget is so low, there's like four people in every army and the same school bus is dressed up in different ways to drive behind each army in different shots. It's a depressingly low scale, a bad way for the movies to go out, but it's it's got what good sci-fi should have. It's, it is it is saying something, a lot of uncomfortable things that most movies wouldn't bother with in the guise of a pulpy Saturday matinee sci-fi movie. And, right. and it ends with an ape crying blood uh, statue. Oh, of it. Yeah, yeah, the lawgiver. Ugh, these are the most downer endings, man. If you get to the I fourth mean, one, if you go in order yeah. and get to the fourth one, there's no way you can't watch this. But you can see why people in 73 were disappointed by the scale of it. But it's still, nonetheless, a worthy entry to the series. Hey. All right. Well, speaking of people being dead, but in a much more fun way, uh, also coming out this week in 1973. So turning 50 years old is a movie that I heard about and heard about and heard about. You could not watch for a billion years. I don't know what was going on with the rights, but you can and rent it now and now is a great time to rent it because it is the last of Sheila a star-studded whodunit on a fancy boat with the guy who wants to play a murder mystery game and then someone ends up really dead hi hi glass onion I see you over there glass onion last of Sheila is written by Anthony Perkins and Stephen Sondheim based on real murder mystery games that he would play and that is why Sondheim is also in glass onion for a hot second Yay. The star-studded cast, Richard Benjamin, Diane Cannon, who's a ton of fun. She's playing a version of this uh, Hollywood agent that was pretty well-known at the time. James Coburn, James Mason, Raquel Welch looking hot, young-ass Ian McShane, which I, I love point out. Like, the Ian McShane's been around forever. He's not just the Deadwood guy or the John Wick guy, and so it is fun to see him like, oh, shit, you're, like, young, and yet you're still kind of Ian McShane. Eh, just not quite so craggy yet. Cool. But yeah, Last of Sheila is a really fun murder mystery kind of movie with just goofy twists and turns the whole way. A couple of them I saw coming. I felt proud of myself and a bunch more. I was like, well, you got me. All right. You got me. So yeah, Last of Sheila, finally available to rent widely. Uh, check it out. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. It's cold in this house and I so cover me up and know you're enough to use me for good. Coming into 2013 with Cover Me Up by Jason Isbell. Isbell off of Southeastern, which is on Rolling Stone's 500 Best Albums of All Times list. And I've never heard of this, so okay. I am ah. 10 years ago is officially when I fall out of music. Other new releases that come out Janu uh, June 9th to the 15th in 2013, 10 years ago. Magnetic by the Goo Goo Dolls, Invisible Empire slash Crescent Moon by KT uh, Tunstall. Tunstall? Turnstile? I don't know. 24-7 by Big Time Rush. Sunbather by Death Heaven. Rudiments of Mutilation by Full of Hell. Great name. Damage by Jimmy Eat World. Also a good name. Kevicure by Sigur Ross. 
hard to pronounce names. Talk a Good Game by Kelly Rowland is also out. Can Hold Us by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis featuring Ray Dalton is still number one. Wow, that is showing some remarkable longevity for 10 years, like the far more ADHD 10 years ago. Way to go, yeah. Macklemore. Yeah. Uh, for a song you said you had never heard and yes. it's been around for yeah. a month. Yeah, it's got staying power. 2013 news, uh, a little bit of news to bring you into the wonderful world of Russia. Russia passes a law banning gay propaganda. Huh. Fuck. Someone who Uh, mistakenly commented commented on a once dear friend's Facebook thread about Disney being groomers. Weird how that goes. (laughs) Weird how that goes. Yeah, well, what's happened since then is exactly what folks are trying to do here. They basically argued, hey, we shouldn't let kids learn about gay stuff because that'll turn them gay it's bad for you so we're we're going to treat it like it's pornography you can't promote homosexuality to children which means you can't say that it exists or depicts it in any way you have to pretend it's not there and then and they pass that law and because they keep saying it's for the children and then what do they do of course they immediately follow up with you can't promote it to anyone, not yep. even adults. Gays don't exist in Russia. And kids are always best, ugh, used as yeah, fodder the, for the things you're uncomfortable with. No one is selling gayness to children. No one no is selling one transness is to selling children. Gayness to uh, children. It's ridiculous. And yeah. And so, uh, not surprisingly, violence against uh, gay and trans folks has exploded in Russia since then. They rounded up uh, often for, you know, political purposes. It's like the minimum fine, I think, is six grand in U.S. dollars just for acknowledging that gayness could exist. Mm. Yeah, that's no, no, it's good. Like, yeah, when everyone talks about like, but stop promoting it to children. It's not dragging out for children. Blah, 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 blah. Look, I, RuPaul's Drag Race is one of my favorite shows of all time. <laughs> and so many of the drag queens on there talk about their past of being raised like very Christian and trying so hard to not be gay and go. wishing they weren't gay and getting treated badly by their families. And those guys have the gayest jobs in the world. <laughs> and they weren't taught about homosexuality exactly. as children. Exactly. So you're not going to prevent gay people by banning gay propaganda. Mm, all right. Not. All right. Uh, and then moving on to the movies of 2013, 10 years ago, June 9th to the 15th. Oh, my God. I can't believe to tell you about tell you about my experience with one of these. Uh, but first up, we have oh, Tokyo Family, remake of Ozu's Tokyo Story. Why? Help. Okay. Mm. All right. No, you, JR, JR, he texted me and said he was adding this. I had not heard that there was a remake of Tokyo Story because that's it's like remaking Citizen Kane. Tokyo Story is one of the greatest films of all time, period. 100% agreed. It's not bad as a film, Diana. It's okay. not. Hey. I, I know it's not. It's not the greatest film of all time because Tokyo Story already is in that discussion. And a remake of it is not going to be as good. I'm sorry. It's not. Um, nope. This is exactly how I felt don't... about the Jungle Book remake, by the way. I hate that this <laughs> exists. This is fine. The original's fine. I'm fine with this. Just don't do this every year. And then they did. Yeah. For our listeners who are not familiar with him, Ozu is one of the best directors in the world. I highly, highly encourage you to uh, watch the original Tokyo Story. It's an incredible moving drama about life because that's what Ozu does. Ozu pictures the quiet moments in life. He's a master class in directing things he never experienced, okay? He made great movies about family, life, 
going to university, uh, working in a factory, things that he never experienced. He, he, he wasn't a family man. He didn't have a family, but he captured family drama in a way that transcends his space and time. He's a very specific director. He's very, very Japanese, and he's very much a Japanese director operating in World War II and the post-war reconstruction of Japan. That is where his films takes place. It's a very specific time period. All of the characters are extremely Japanese, but he can make it universal. You can have zero knowledge of Japanese culture, and you can still feel pulled along by Ozu's storytelling. Watch yep. the original. The remake is not bad. It's really not. Mm. Was there any impetus okay. to why remake it? Um, yeah, that's really my big question. Why? It was made by someone who worked with Ozu, mm. uh, and he was like 80. So my guess would be fear of death. It was probably like oh. either I'm going to remake this or I'm going to die and never get a chance to remake it. So that would be my guess. The crazy thing to me is Ozu and Kurosawa were damn near born at the same time. Mm. And yeah. we could have gotten... 30 more years out of Ozu's work if he would have lived as long as Kurosawa because Kurosawa mm. was making films right up until, until his death. And yeah. I would have loved to see Ozu tackle Japan in the Nintendo era, you know, the <laughs> booming funny. 80s. That would, would, I wish the world. I'm sure it would have been with an understanding, non judgmental hand. No. He was a masterpiece <laughs> yeah. of that. He did yeah. that, though. He did okay. that at all of his subjects. You can. Yeah. So many of his characters, a lesser director would have judged them. He never did. Yeah. O Osu is one of those filmmakers. And it's funny that we're going to talk about a, a film that is in sort of not quite his style, but in a verite style of just like pull the camera back and let it happen. Well, thank you. Sort Maybe not not judging, not commenting. This is you interpret this. Maybe that's a segue to one of the best experiences I've ever had on this show doing hey, the show. Oh, I'm so glad it's this too. Yes, because while I think I'd seen the first two movies, I know one was on a plane and I know one was on cable, like maybe not all the way. I, for the first time, triple featured the Before series all nice. in a row. Nice. All in a row. Oh, that's a good night. There. And I got to tell you, I went immediately to like Cap City and just, I'm like a preacher. I'm gliding. Like this is one of the best trilogies of all time. And it concludes 10 years ago this week with Before Midnight, starring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delphi. If you have not seen it, Richard Linklater took this story of meeting this amazing person at, in, in, what, in like Philadelphia or Chicago and then having one night together and kind of always thought about it and made it into a movie in 1994. Then he made another movie, which is the lowest grossing movie to ever get a sequel. Uh, and before sunset <laughs> and the movie's about the, nine years later there's nine, nine years, years. and the movie's nine. about him becoming famous for turning a story about someone like was this love i don't know like was the, like here's it's about an author becoming famous for a story about this person they reunite again and you don't really know what happens to them all these movies are like lines of dialogue Every decade in these two people's lives that feel so authentic and not, not smarmy, they're not too smart, they're not too dumb, they're just curious and cautious people. And it, it's 
it's a lot like Boyhood, like accidentally. I loved it. I, I could I could not get over how good of an experience this was. And I went right into Before Midnight and what you always hoped would happen for 20 years finally happens. And this couple is together. They have kids. The last two movies are co-written by Julie Delphi and Ethan Hawke. And they're putting in their own experiences. Ethan Hawke's experiences with Uma Thurman are mirrored in the dialogue about... I have to live away from my... It's very human. I, I don't know. Like, I loved, loved, loved my experience watching these three movies in a row. In a row. Oh, see, I, I've watched them in real time, but mm -hmm. I, I should go back and just and just do one, two, three. Because, they, I mean, how, how they're made is, is so fascinating, and it could just go right off a cliff in that, like, Richard Linklater has sort of an outline of generally how things are going to go, and it's largely improvised and Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy have screenplay credits because they're coming up with their, what their character would say because they're trying to live in the character. And that cracks me up that they got an Oscar nomination. It's, this. it's <laughs> like, because it's, it's, sort of, it's not really a written screenplay. It's sort of a general kind of thing. And then they workshop and workshop and workshop what they want to have happen. Right. And then they, then they act it out. And yeah, the, the evolution of their relationship is so, so fascinating. And I love this one because it is about something that you don't tend to make movies about of like, when you're with someone for a long time, like you change. Yes. People change over time mm -hmm. and your relationship changes and how you interact with as a unit and as a family and with other people. And like, you, you know, do you get upset that like, you're not the same person you used to be, or they're not the same person, or like you have to adapt what your priorities are in your life and like, oh, the ardor cools, but like it's a different kind of love now. And it's like, mm -hmm. is that good, bad, indifferent? How do you how do you deal with how you change over time? And and just and, to put a finer point on that, like uh like boyhood, things are which is sorry, that's where my familiarity is with this link later style, uh, more so than slacker or whatever. You always think there's going to be a conflict, and the first two movies don't really have a conflict. It's just like this prolonged courtship, and you wonder whether or not this uh. these, this couple will be together. And then in the in the third movie, it reveals they've been together for a while and they have kids. And this yep. movie is the closest to like a traditional. It has a big conflict that comes up in a conversation. See mm -hmm. to. The conflict in two was, mm -hmm. was Ethan Hawke going to cheat on his wife? Because all throughout the second film, he's like, that's you know, I'm well, that's resolved now in the third. <laughs> kid. Yeah, and it is resolved. But that's the thing. Two ended on ambiguity. Yeah. One ended on ambiguity. I, I saw one in a film class, and I was very young at the time. Two hadn't even came out. And the entire class was like, well, of course they don't get back together. That's just a fantasy. But mm -hmm. I was very young and very romantic. And I was like, of course they go back and meet in six months. They <laughs> said they would. What are you Aww. talking about? But isn't it isn't it fun to think about like from 1995 to 2013? You don't get, do they get together? The second film ends nope. on like, well, this looks like he's going to miss his flight. And then it's resolved nine years later. Like, yeah, they were together. Here's him wish wishing off his kid from a previous marriage. And you're introduced to two children, grown ass children. They already have. And yeah, it, it's so phenomenal and trusting of the film. It's none of it is hoity toity or pretentious. You learn mm -hmm. so much about these people through one day of their lives in all three films. And you can color in the backstory so fucking well. It, it, it's so cool to all see movies made like this. All three films are an examination of dialogue as plot. Yeah. So mm -hmm. frequently in movies, you know, dialogue, 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 and then we get the plot, 
And this movie, it's all dialogue. There is mm-hmm. nothing but dialogue, but that moves the pot along so effortlessly. It makes us understand these characters so well. And to me, I agree that I think this is the most conflict ridden of all the three, because to me, this is a conversation where their marriage is on a knife's edge. Right. Like mm-hmm. this is where, well, is this marriage going to last or not? Yeah, Maybe. but it's also, I, I would argue that the reason that there is like the most conflict, there's the most plot that is conflict is because like they have more people in their lives now. They're yes. not just two kids backpacking through Europe anymore. They've got ex-wives, grown children that they're in conflict with younger children. They're trying to decide what to do with their careers at important points. And it's like, yeah, that's that's what family's about, man. And that's what makes try to balance yeah. everything. The movies as a whole so fascinating. It's like a decade has occurred in between and these characters grow and change a little and remain the same a lot. Still believe the same mm-hmm. thing. I don't I can't I can't even articulately say how beautiful it is. I just like authentic. Like it is it is yes. all about dialogue, but like I love Kevin Smith, but there's nothing authentic about the dialogue of any of those characters. It's <laughs> no. it's it's very written and this doesn't feel like that at all. This feels like how people talk. This yeah. feels yeah. like we are just flies on the window capturing their lives. And again, I just think it's a fantastic examination of a couple yeah. struggling. I I actually did have a conversation similar to this. It was about seven years ago. Both me and my wife were in a bad place and we were walking down a beach. And as that conversation was happening, I could feel it. It was a sense of this conversation can go a couple of ways. Right. And one of those Mm. ways could end in no more marriage. And it was remarkably captured well in this film. I'm yeah. I'm happily married seven years later, so that conversation went fine. But I admire the guts of the filmmakers yeah. to take their characters to a position like that. Right. All, all while so I was often, watching this on a plane and Julie Delphi, they're about to have sex, just removes her top and appears topless for like 20 minutes during this argument. <laughs> and it's like the only time she does a nude scene in any of the movies. And I'm like, I got uncomfortable and turned the movie off on the plane and never got back <laughs> yeah. to it. Um, no, but this is this is like the the kind of I love this kind of movie so much, and there are so many versions of it where it really is just like jerk off hand motion yeah. white people problems, yeah, as opposed to something that just feels real and interesting and entertaining the whole time. This is not mm-hmm. you know the this sad talky movie about sad talky people and my emotions. No, it's it's but mostly yeah. astonishing no, by by how happy they are how happy yeah. they are like in both meeting one another, but where their lives are and where they're going. The mo- the thing that jeopardizes their life mostly is how, th- how they feel about one another. They're they pulled towards one another. I feel very comfortable in saying this is the best romance trilogy of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh I, yeah. I walked yeah. away from I, this. I can't think of many others. Me neither. There, there aren't any. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause yeah. most, most romance films are, will they or won't they? Yes. Romance mm-hmm. films are usually about, Will this couple get together? And that's just the start of a romance, right. okay? Good point. Uh, the, the romantic comedies are about the very beginning. This shows us midway through or, you know, a fourth or a fifth way through, depending on how long they, they stay married for. And that's really rare, but I think that's equally interesting. I think we need stories about not just how you get a romantic relationship, how but how you maintain it, it yeah. over long periods of time where you change, they change, life changes you, all that stuff. Or how you um, how you can organically survive a relationship ruining arguments. Cause like 
people have to do that. It's it's yeah. it's not all, like it presents drama and deals with it in the way most movies don't because usually they're interest, introducing that plot point to throw the characters on their head. And this movie loves yeah. its characters so much it would I want to say it would never do that. And again, the only depressing thing about this movie series is that it has come about every nine years and they came back together and couldn't. Yeah, we just we're all still friends. We can't. Julie Delphi said, "There's not going to be another. We're not making another one." And she was See, like, I, yeah. I, "I want that though." Uh, uh, here's here's my. Oh, pitch. it could be. It could and be. I know fine. they're listening. Hmm. Here's yeah. my pitch: <laughs> Your kids move away. Okay, so suddenly you're no longer just a married couple with children. Mm-hmm. You're now back to being married without children. That's another huge life change, and that's something married couples with kids. Mm-hmm have sometimes trouble adjusting. It I think is, that's another phase of life that I would love to see these characters I saw explore. most of my fr- friends' parents get divorced when I was like eight, and then after we were 18. Like that period in between, you're mm-hmm. going to be together for a while, but after you move out, holy shit, then we can re- reevaluate. But but mm-hmm. I'm just yeah. saying, they, she like had to clarify, like, no, I don't mean I don't love these people. We didn't meet about it. It's just like, usually we have an interesting place to take these people, and we all agree on it, and this time we didn't get there. And it's not that we didn't consider it, but it missed its nine-year window uh, as of last year. I don't year. think you have to stick to nine oh, years. Oh, yeah, nobody cares 13, about that. 15, 15, but, but they cared enough uh, to, to meet about it. And right. and, and they right. said they, they didn't land on a... Look, as someone who fell in love with this whole trilogy like a couple of days ago, I was devastated and like, we're not opposed to readdressing doing another film. Uh, here's why I think there will be another film. Any pre-existing IP before the monoculture collapse is always going to be valuable. There is going to be some streaming service that will throw money at these filmmakers to get the next one in the series just because it'll create buzz for a few weeks. So I think we're going to see that. And, you know, there's some conversations in here where they're talking about my grandfather. He died. Oh, how long was he married to your grandmother? 74 years. Yeah. And then they start doing the math of how long they would have to live in order to be married <laughs> for 74 years. And yep. I've done something similar with my wife. You know, when we were first getting engaged, that Beatles song, Will You Still Love Me When I'm 64, came on and we started talking about it. And I was like, you know, honestly, sweetie, 64 years of age seems too short of a time to spend with you. Instead, I want 64 years of marriage to you mm. we no. did the math Slick. and it's possible that we may both live along enough to reach 64 years of marriage and then when the anniversary comes around sometimes i say okay sweetie only 49 years left and that's <laughs> she jokes and says okay so you're gonna divorce me and i'm like that's not the point and you know it it's a <laughs> memento mori it's to make us realize and even if we live a really long time we only get this for so long and we have to cherish what we have what we build and what we grow together because it's worthwhile in the moment and you have to really live in that moment and live for the future at the same time and that, that's what made me glad they missed their window a little bit because had they made it the movie would have to start when they're living in a toilet paper fort and putting fucking Purell all over their mail. And just because it'd be like, <laughs> and talking about, I don't know if we're going to live that long. There's this whole COVID thing out there. And yeah, well, that could have been interesting. I mean, because that was a time where a lot of, because that 
people have to go work from home or someone loses their job because they work in the service industry and people are all stuck in a crucible together and driving each other crazy. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, no, co- a COVID bef- before COVID would have been fucking and the, the last thing I'll say about it, like they always I think they intentionally shoot in romantic roca- locales because the movie's so low concept. Let's justify some filmmaking here and have some beautiful stuff to film. It's always hard for them to secure financing. I don't think they've all come out under the same studio. So they could easily go to like a streaming service or something like that. But you know, you know, they'd make them turn it into a show. They'd make. Yeah. And that's no, what I don't want to see. Be it. That should that's not be it. See. No. They would push no. them to. I'm not saying that it's what, what it will be, but that would, that's where the discussions would go. Should yeah. anybody try and, and they, fund And this. they should walk. This should be a, a, a seven up series, but fictional. Yeah. It's all. All exactly. three of these movies are one day into middle middle class semi-educated it's just it's more people should see this and get something out of it and maybe yeah, yeah and see what their lives are like every 10 years seven up sorry you said it right there diana what a great yeah comparison yeah and, and also i mean these are made for basically nothing everyone works for scale mm-hmm. and it takes money off the back end it costs three million dollars it made like more than 20 and i we keep bringing this up especially for 2023 how how smart Ethan Hawke is yes. as a businessman. We just, The Purge was number one yes. last week. And, 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 and he, he, he is, you know, like, oh yeah, keeping the indie cred, at, everyone loves him. At the yeah. end of the day, he to might me, be my favorite actor. He makes amazing choices, even when he's doing yeah. a studio Agreed. anything. Yeah. I mean, boyhood is such a fascinating commitment to mm-hmm. make. I mean, yeah. totally. gosh. And, 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 and even... In Moon Knight, a series I didn't like a lot, I really loved his character. <laughs> and yeah. like any and doing this show, he keeps surprising me. I never thought a couple years ago we were making fun of Ethan Hawke for being cheesy and fucking alternative that he might be my favorite actor at the end of my life. And he really he very much might be. Sorry we talked too much about this. The next movie, even right. more people Before some, Midnight. Big Before Midnight. A great movie. It's not really streaming anywhere. Uh, I had to watch the first two in standard definition. I don't know why that was. Uh, But the the next movie, I think, just popped. It's in the Netflix top ten and has been for, like, weeks for some reason. But look at this. Maybe it's the cast. Christopher (laughs) Mintz-Plas, Aziz Ansari, Mindy Kaling, David Krumholtz, Kevin Hart, Rihanna, Michael... The unforgettable Michael Sarah, Paul Rudd, Jason Siegel, Emma Watson, Jonah Hill, Danny McBride, Craig Robinson, James Franco, Jay Burchell, and Seth Rogen in This Is the End. I think it's the apocalypse. What the fuck? Is it bad? Stop. Looting, rioting. For all we know, the fucking Lakers could have just won, and that's the reason why all this is happening. <laughs> Emma Watson showed up. You Hermione just stole all of our shit. This is the end. This is one of the few comedies from 10 years ago. I like, oh, I'm so hungover. I don't want to decide. This is the end is fine. I'll just watch this. It's always a fine thing to watch when I'm not feeling very choosy. And uh, JR, I think you'll get a kick out of this. One, a long time ago, and I saw it when it came out, there was a short film called like Jay and Seth versus the Apocalypse that was just about them being the last two people on Earth. And Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen said they were partially inspired by plots in the Larry Sanders show where celebrities played themselves in these scenarios they obviously weren't getting into in real lives. So why don't we take 
all these real life celebrity people and put them through the Armageddon, <laughs> not just the apocalypse, but like biblical Armageddon. And yeah. it's, it's, that's what I loved about it. Yeah. I mean, we've seen the end of the world so many times, but this is like, no, the Christian God is the one true religion and it's ending according to the Bible. Deal with it, Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> and that like it, it would be different. I, I wish they would make more of these, at least one more, some other kind. I love it. Them playing themselves. There's some stuff there. Like, I don't know all this. I don't know about James Franco's art collection, but the movie makes constant jokes about it and whether or not he's gay. I don't even know if you have James Franco in one of these anymore. I forget what his status mm, is in the community. Eh, uh, a little bit shaky. And also, uh, yeah, the, there was some complaints from Emma Watson on the set. It's like, the, you know, the reason she kicks the shit out of them is because they're talking about sexually assaulting her. They're talking about, it's so, it's almost cute they're talking about not i don't want her to think we're interested in sexually assaulting her right but she only picks up on the big nouns and yeah and, and she said that, i mean obviously they're going to do a lot of improv and ripping on the set and that some of that made her uncomfortable no it, they, it, it, they apologized. it wasn't that there was apparently a different ending that involved a lot of cannibalism uh, and, and because she walked off the set they changed the ending involving Channing Tatum being <laughs> chained to Danny McBride as his slave. And she's like, Seth Rogen was like, it was fucked up. We should have done that. But it did make the movie ending better. And mm. and we're still friends. It's not like she's mad at us. But yeah, she was upset with the content. And we didn't. That's our fault. That's totally our fault. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's not like there's a lot of women around. No. Oh, so you should try to well, maybe keep them happy. It, well, it's a raunchy comedy. They're going yeah. for the gross out humor. And I think they succeed. I mean... This is a movie where Satan's cock is on full display <laughs> about the size of a bus, you know. It's still funny that it, 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 they're referring to Jonah Hill like, you're an Oscar-nominated actor, Jonah. And he still has the worst things Jonah Hill himself could ever suffer on camera done to him <laughs> after implying like... Yeah, uh, he gets Rosemary's yeah. babied. Yes. <laughs> but this is hilarious. This is a huge recommend for Great me. Movie. I watched in 2013 with my wife. She will go to anything Seth Rogen is in. Just loves the guy. Loves his humor. And I laughed my ass off. She laughed her ass off. I only watched about the first half hour of it rewatched for this show. But I was still laughing. Yeah, very It fun. still seemed to be holding up. And it, again, I love... These guys are all clearly friends and like working off mm -hmm. one another. Yeah. And they're a bunch... I, I, uh, I like that they're sort of playing off of what are what we assume they are like in real life because they've made so many movies together you know and there's the ranches from you know super bad all the way back to freaks and geeks pineapple apple express all the judd apatow yeah. stuff and so like they're playing into what we assume no I, like. I read apparently into the personas which is pretty fun jay burchell in his discomfort around jonah hill was real like uh, they all all my friends are friends with this guy but we're not we're not clicking for some reason, and it's very awkward. It's in the movie. It's neat. It's it's neat to do that. He's like, we're we're pretty cool now, but like, yeah, we just didn't click for a couple of years, and that happens sometimes. And some yeah. of the yeah, some of those people come out, disappear, or become your best friend. Anyway, sorry, I'm not going to bring a before midnight lens to this because <laughs> we have a much bigger movie to unfortunately talk about. Russell Crowe, Lawrence Fishburne, Kevin Costner, Michael Shannon, Amy Adams, Henry Cavill. It's number one at the box office. It's Man of Steel. Why did you send me here? You will give the people of Earth an ideal to strive towards. They will stumble. They will fall. But you will help them. You will guide them. You will give them hope. That's what this symbol means. Hope. With a PG-13.
scene. Man, All right. So can I just say off the bat that I had to go with a red band trailer for This Is The End, and even that didn't have a lot of talking. Man of Steel was practically impossible to find something for radio. Both of these are very effects and visual mm-hmm. movies. <laughs> one costs five times as so much as the other one. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's true, and it's it's also weird remembering that 10 years ago, this is the start of the horribly titled, unofficially DCEU. It is the start of DC, like, we're going to do the Marvel <sighs> thing. And they start yep, with Superman. Which is smart. Very smart. And I tried to sit down and watch this the same with the same expectations I took into rewatching Into Darkness. There was a lot of baggage I had with who's making this and how it's being adapted back then that I just don't have anymore. This this universe is ending, period. None of these people are coming back, except in probably The Flash, and, which I haven't, you know, I haven't seen yet. But this is over. Is it out? It's uh, like... Soon. It's been yeah. done for years, and a, a lot of people have seen it, and spoilers are out there. Shit, Michael Shannon is in that trailer, so... Yeah. Yeah. I, I tried to look at it like that, and it's interesting to go back and see that, like, Christopher Nolan, it's the only one that Christopher Nolan was involved with off the Dark Knight trilogy, and it structurally is like Batman Begins, because David Goyer is doing, it's told non-linearly, and I think it's, it's a, that's always going to be a problem people run into when adapting Superman stories. Do you really have to tell all the alien stuff, too? And, and also with my Wrath of Khan, like, you're going to bring back Zod. We all know this. How is this going to go? Why jump right to this? Maybe tell a different Superman story. But Superman stories, let me say as a, 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 a fairly avid comic book reader, Superman stories are hard. Superman is the most powerful being in the universe. And not to sound pretentious about it, but like the stuff that's special is what Superman doesn't do because he can do anything. If only there'd been about 5,000 stories <laughs> written about him you could pull from, many of which people have considered interesting over that time period. But most of those, JR, move against type or are not necessarily what Superman would do, but what he doesn't do or how he talks to people. Uh, he, he, like the guy with the best strength in the universe uh, can cauterize wounds with his eyes. <laughs> how he talks people off of a building or everything in All-Star Superman, which is exciting to see James Gunn reading and tweeting about. Because that, but that's all like little stories you wouldn't expect to hear about Superman. Well, the Warner movies executives were so sure that they had a Marvel killer on their hands with yeah. Man of Steel. They were 100%, ah, oh, we're going to go the grim dark route. We're going to do all these things. And it's... I don't feel this, this is, is as... one of the better DCEU films, but it's still a B on its best day. It's. I don't think this is as grim dark as they would get. But the the color the color approach is and like the score is it really is like Zack Snyder was the perfect director for the Watchmen. He was not the perfect director for DC's bright and colorful and funny characters. And no, I still no, I still they, had that the feeling. The DC executives thought he was, and that's the fundamental problem with the DCEU. I they think so. do not understand their characters. Yes. Okay. Marvel understood what made Marvel good. You know, they understood the appeal of these characters. They they really had people who were like, well, they could talk to the creator. Okay, one of the creators. They could talk to Stan Lee. They could have, hey, Stan Lee. No one could stop talk to the creators of Superman, right. The Flash, Batman. They couldn't do that. And that I, was a I also, dead medium. I also think for better or for worse, Marvel is a system that finds directors who are good for the project. Whether they're... It became they, that under Disney, but, you know, in no, 2013... 
It, you think? No, I don't think yeah. Kenneth Branagh like was dying to direct Thor. They thought like he might be <laughs> able to do this. I don't. I, I don't think in a pre-studio world anybody would have allowed Joss Whedon anywhere near these characters. Except Marvel was thoughtful enough. We know the story we want to tell. Maybe Joss Whedon's the best one to tell it. DC did operate kind of differently than that. Like we're gonna let you do your auteur thing on this movie, where Marvel doesn't let anybody do that. And and not, not really. They definitely knew they were going to go with dark as their theme if you look at all the directors they talk to yes it's like there is not one happy man in this but guillermo del toro they talked to affleck to direct they talked to robert zemeckis they talked to darren aronofsky yeah Yeah, what are you yeah matt reeves is the happiest guy in there and he's the guy who did the batman which is probably the darkest batman and i I don't want to make a bunch of hay out of marvel firing their vfx art like director and like how people have had issues with their VFX. There is some 10-year-old looking VF- like VFX in Man of Steel, but it still looks more expensive and bigger than any Marvel movie 10 years later. It looks huge. And the really dumb thing I had to look up, Marvel's played it like, what would you call it? The very ultimate universe, very safe. Everyone is a lot like us. And one of the things I think that is cool to mention that they get right is Superman flying and Superman fighting in the air. And I was looking up like, well, who organically flies in the Marvel Universe? And it is not many people. Like, everybody has a rocket boot. But other than that, it's like Vision, Scarlet Witch can do it. Uh, Vision, Ultron. It, what? No, that's with jet boots, too. There are not a lot of flyers in the Marvel Universe. And, and the funny thing I noticed, and I'm sure there's a billion YouTube channels that have pointed it out, all Marvel characters fly with their hands down. Like, their shoulders out, hands down. Hmm. Thor is the only one who puts one arm out. Super, nobody flies like Superman in the Marvel Universe. Nobody. Captain yeah, Marvel flies I, with I, her arms down. It's true, except for that one shot at the... I, seeing these movies is what I'm saying. But... Uh, but I, I don't hate Man of Steel. I, as I said, I right. think it's one of the better DCEU films. I think most of their later films are cultural vandalism. Yeah. I would call uh, <laughs> Batman versus Superman. Awful. Like, it's not it's the worst. drawing a mustache on the Mona Lisa, but in pop cultural turns, yeah, it is. So, yeah, I don't care how this good film... Zack Snyder's Justice League cut is because his Batman versus Superman is fucking terrible. Terrible. Mm. Yeah. 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 Uh, this this movie, let's, let's stick with this movie. Mm-hmm. This movie frustrates me to no end because there's a lot of elements in it I think are really interesting and yeah. really good. Obviously, he's a Jesus figure. We get that. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But they, they really, really lean into the alienness. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of alien chips and design and helmets and weird, like, yes, underline, he he's an alien. He doesn't, they, they don't string out Lois Lane not knowing who he is. Mm-hmm. Thank fuck. I think Amy Adams is a pretty good casting because yeah. so much of the time they, they get, I feel like they get Lois Lane wrong and she's, like, too soft. And it's like, Amy Adams, I could believe she could probably throw a punch if she had to. Cool. Whatever. <laughs> I know, it's very, the, the idea of, how his dad dies though is one of those things that's like All people right. are so annoyed and it's like i see both sides of it that what they're trying to say is you can't save everybody mm-hmm. and you got a triage and it's more important to protect yourself than to save your dad and it's like but going back to the christopher reeve movie like the idea that he can't save everybody because there's some things he cannot do like mm-hmm. stop a heart attack yeah. i found a lot more meaningful than please don't save me because then maybe someone will notice you saving me it it just it really felt so tr- so try hard. It mm-hmm. really yeah. did. That's my big problem with this movie is they felt the need to put 
too much in to explain the character. Like the yeah. big controversy about Superman killing Zod at the end. I so don't. We care. talked about Superman too. I don't care. Uh, but here's why I have a problem with it. All right. They did that because they wanted a reason for Superman to not kill. They thought mm. this character needs some defining event, which will give him a reason not to kill. It couldn't be just he was raised by decent parents who taught him not to kill. That's a reason. Yeah. But to the DC executive, it's like, no, obviously he has to have some traumatic event. Otherwise, he would have to kill people. No, you don't mm -hmm. understand your characters. You don't understand the IP that Okay, I'm going to quote Malcolm. You stand on the shoulders of giants and you thought about whether you could, but not if you should. And then you're selling it and you're selling it and you're selling it. Wait, Malcolm X said that? Huh? Malcolm X said that. Ultimately, Superman does kill people in comics and the movies all the time. Yeah, yeah. we talked about him too. He killed a lot of people in two. Yep. It's, it's the way they did it. It was too try hard. It's like, ah, uh, I'm in a situation. Uh, the only thing you can do is kill me. I'm literally telling you that the only thing you can do is kill me. I still, like, I didn't like it at the time, but I, now it's like, it's one of the only interesting things about this. Because it spent, like, there was a couple moments, and obviously I'm doing other stuff. At one point, I'm editing podcasts and watching rewatching some of this on an iPad. And I turn and like, what fucking movie am I watching? Like, none of this looks like what should be a Superman at all. I thought Krypton was the best Krypton I have seen before or since. I guess. I just, I kind was, of want... That was a pretty good Krypton. And I like the idea of that Zod is a space Nazi. It works for me that he's a space Fine. eugenicist. And he's like, okay, well, I Krypton's still, gone, so I'm going to build a new Krypton. I still uh, want DC ants and fuck them. to take a very, very slow walk back from Krypton. Because even reading scripts yeah. that have never been produced, like there's too much fucking Krypton in all of this. And ultimately, Superman's attitude towards us in America, he's not only an alien, he's like the most famous immigrant in the world, and he loves us. And, he, yeah. and, and figure out why he loves us. It's not because of his dad. See, what if you just started a Superman movie, like All-Star Superman? Everyone knows this character. Here's him going around being a nice guy. Yeah. And again, those are my favorite Would Superman moments. Would the audience really be like, no, you must show me Krypton. Oh, those are my favorite mm -hmm. Superman moments where people are like, Superman's here. He's going to do something. He's like, you don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> you don't know why I do things or what motivates me. Um, it's interesting. And there's also, like, I think James Gunn is going back to his youth, which I'm I'm a wait and see kind of guy with that list. Like I'm just not a Smallville fan. I don't want I, I don't know, but I've read the Grant Morrison run of teenage Superman, like in a t-shirt. That was fun. Like him learning how he became who he was, how he learned to, to what to care about. And a lot of that does come from Pa Kent and who appears in later movies than this, by the way. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's just, it, it, yeah. Also I'll say, I like the casting of Kevin Costner as being, you know, the, the avatar of Midwestern masculine goodness, like, that's actually pretty clever. I, I, I could not but find just, the same love and appreciation hmm. for this that I did for Into Darkness, a movie I was I found distasteful at the time. I didn't find yeah. it, sadly. It's just, uh, I just, I, 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 thought I, Zod I find was... so many ideas and, and stuff that works, and then it's like they undo it on me over and over. But I think that, that was the point at the time, is that uh, they are introducing a lot of ideas that will be expanded upon in later movies, and probably with later characters, and like, 
Marvel took its organic time into building a universe, and this movie wants to jump a lot of steps mm. and like introduce yeah. everybody. Well, because they're playing catch up. Yep. You know, Marvel's just did the Avengers, mm -hmm. so they're like, we got to get into this as quickly as possible. I thought Zod was the best in this film. Was the best Superman villain we've seen in any Superman movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had reasonable goals by his life. Okay, he was talking about you know he was born to defend Krypton, mm -hmm. and if that means a bunch of ants have to die in order for his world to live from his character that made perfect sense mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. he, he was a bit stupid because when uh clark asked him what's going to happen to earth when i give you the codex he should have just said oh earth's going to be fine i'm going to use the codex on <laughs> venus no humans live there right okay give me the codex so i can transform venus yeah destroy earth oh sorry clark a uh, wrong planet my bad yeah also i don't know like, I don't know how I feel about Henry Cavill as, as Superman. No, Honestly, I, I kind of want him as James oh. Bond instead of Superman. Oh, I would love that. Uh, He's so good in Well, that up. would be great. I love Henry Cavill as an actor. Mm -hmm. I feel like yeah. he's an incredible performer who keeps getting betrayed by the studio i think exactly. he has There's... a better sense of his characters than the studio does mm -hmm. i think if they would have listened to cavill more on both this and the witcher we would have gotten much better versions of both and he's like yeah the I think my... best looking man of all time he is ridiculous yeah, i mean he's he's got the look perfectly and i think he, he should probably actually lose a bunch of the muscle if he wants to play james bond i think he would be really good at it but he doesn't have some of the like the reason i think he would be a decent james bond is because he has a very wry dry british humor which i don't think plays as well in this i think mm. you need a little i don't know a little uh, when there's when there's humor which is very very few and far between that you know a little a little bit that's lighter. part of the reason why it's yeah it's it's all very fucking so so serious very very serious and it's it, it, it part this is not really a note because it's not a very smart thing to say but it like maybe it's from the catch-up like a lot of this feels like a season one tried to be condensed into a single film where like mm. you can't pay stuff off this fast you, you show the origins of his whole planet and his upbringing <laughs> maybe focus yeah. on a couple of those like one of those yeah. instead of all of it yeah i could i could really live very happily without the specifics of stuff on krypton until mm -hmm. later yeah totally we don't need to know whether or not oh they don't have pe they don't have babies normally anymore they do cloning stuff and then zod got into a fight with this guy and it's like no we we can save that but at least it, now that it's there i can say I can't believe how much better this opening looks than Ant-Man. The, the third Ant-Man. Like, it looks so much better. Yeah, so it's like overall... Okay, but I, think of what you're saying. Bag. Chris, think of what you're saying. Oh, I'm really amazed the Superman movie looks better than the Ant-Man movie. Should, that, it should Which be the way. Which of these movies should get the bigger true. budget? It's, it's true. It's such a mystery. It's really, true. it could go either way. I know. That, that, would, that kind of... I'm not kidding. That kind of like thing where you just fucking slammed it and threw it in my face. It takes decades to notice like yeah of course marvel's not going to spend the the avengers money on an ant-man movie it would it should always look worse it's <laughs> I'm, not, I'm i'm being serious like put fewer resources it, no everybody if they are accepting this premise already they don't need life-shattering effects where yeah. superman kind of does but i'm positive positive the color red existed on krypton and uh, <laughs> on the earth I'm positive. Well, let's tie this into our Jurassic Park discussion because we're going 20 years from Jurassic Park where it's amazing that we saw the dinosaurs to this film where it looks good, 
but no one is amazed by this, right? right? I don't think anyone went into this film and went, I can't believe... Now, him him uh, fighting in the air is, is awesome. It's awesome. It is yeah. awesome. But it, there, it, there was no wow and awe the way Jurassic Park gave us wow and awe, and I don't think we're going to get that again. I, I suppose. I cannot conceive of the movie in the future that will wow and awe us. I want to hold out Jurassic for the Park. Flash movie, because I used to say in our comic show, like, we know there's computer effects, but how you choose to realize them, you can still wow us, such as the Quicksilver scene in X-Men that was referenced in that Futurama clip. That's something we knew we could do, but no one thought to do it. And Marvel was way holding back on people fighting mid-flight, like how to, how to show that, and they found a way. And I always said, like, I'd really like to see a Flash movie where they show an interesting, they find an interesting effect. The bullet time of effects to show how the Flash moves. Again, haven't seen it. I'll shut up. But I thought I thought the Man of Steel fight sequences were decent. And like it's like world-ending stuff Like looks so much grander in scale than any other superhero film. And uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's stuff to appreciate, but it didn't come together in something I appreciate as a whole. I don't for Man of Steel. Yeah. No. Is anyone recommending this? No. Uh, you know. I mean, I feel like if you wanted to see this, you probably have seen it by now. It's yeah. the it's the fourth highest rated Superman on Rotten Tomatoes. Only because the okay. first two Christopher Reeve ones there, and so is uh, Singers and this, uh, and then everything else is god-awful. I think it's better than Singers. I yeah, mean, I, I think there. so. I think you, you could make Singers a case for that too. Singers is too in love with one and two. Right. It's it's it right. shouldn't it should. It's making its a sequel thing. to an old Sing- movie. Yeah. This is its own thing, and I'm glad that they didn't try to recapture 1978 and 1980 movies in 2013. You know, I am. We talked about two. It's a good film, but this had to be its own thing. So yeah, I think it's better than Singer. Hmm. Yeah, so let's move on to TV. Man of Steel, not, still not recommended 10 years later. Uh, yeah, not quite. January 9th to the 15th. My teen is pregnant and so am I. Debuts on TLC. What? Oh, oh God. This is TLC, exactly... the leering yeah. channel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think this is what we were talking about when like HBO uh, Max is running commercials. Like, this is now coming to your app. These are not, yeah, the, yeah. These are not exciting. I, I, the channel could have gone a completely different way. You know, back in 2004, a Scrubs TV show was really taking off and they tried to syndicate it on TLC, but TLC didn't want no Scrubs. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I thought you were going to make the point that like, why is the learning channel and the music television channel settling on the same format in the same year? Gross. Yeah, this is exactly what it says on the tin. I mean, it's it's (laughs) teenage moms who then grew up their own teenagers have kids at the exact same time they're having kids. Cause you know, if you get pregnant at 18 or in some cases, it's even younger on this show, then uh, 18 years later, you're still fertile and your kid gets pregnant at 18. You can get pregnant at the same time. And, and you probably you know, doomed it, yourself to a certain income bracket where sex is your only form of fun. <sighs> or you're Lauren Bobert. Yeah. Oh man. They just disproved her, her, Dad was a famous wrestler. That was that has been a long-standing uh, rumor. Um, really, what I what I'm hearing is the mom had 18 years to learn about birth control <laughs> and failed. That's how good Dick is, Diana. You don't have to tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you talking to right now? I know, I know. Can we move on to the Tonys? Which one of us? <laughs> uh, look, I'm getting familiar with my own. <laughs> 
Uh, Tony's this week, Neil Patrick Harris in 2013. Do we have a big winner here? Because I wasn't we paying attention. We do. We have uh, Kinky Boots. Kinky ah. Boots cleans up as Best Musical. I, it makes me sad to see that all four nominees for Best Musical are all based on movies. Mm. Uh, yeah, Kinky Boots, which is based on a movie that was like, you know, an indie movie. It didn't do great. It's done great as a musical, but also... Beating out Bring It On, the musical, A Christmas Story, the musical, and Matilda, the musical, which yeah. I know people really like Matilda now. And then uh, the revival of Pippin, um, that one, everyone Movie really about the second one. best player in the Bulls. It was great. Yeah. No, it's got Andrea Martin singing while she's on a trapeze. Hey. Uh, and she wins. Yeah. And that makes me happy. Next up. Uh, <laughs> and then next up, Games 2013, Animal can, Crossing New League. Can I introduce this one, Chris? Please. Uh-oh. Okay. So... Nintendo did something they pretty much never do. Animal Crossing City Folk had been met with underwhelming. It's still a controversial entry in the series. So they listened to the fans. They got rid of the repetitive, boring aspects of City Folks. They really wanted to make a lot of significant changes in this entry of Animal Crossing. And that's exactly what they did when they turned over a new leaf oh he put on sunglasses and <laughs> no no one heard that yeah. oh uh, yes new but but you're right this is when and i think it's the platform it's on it becomes a bona fide american phenomenon with new leaf because mm-hmm. you have all it, it was never a huge juggernaut but the 3ds is really on its exponential dude i was right traveling now. all over the country and passing people and doing all this great stuff in animal crossing that wasn't possible on the Wii or the GameCube. It was like the biggest thing that ever happened. It was so much fun. And as soon as that social aspect died down, I cared a lot less. And this- That's what a lot of fans are still angry about. Mm-hmm. Nothing is ever going to cross the Animal Crossing on the Switch that came out in the midst of the pandemic mm-hmm. just because of when it was released and everyone was Woo! desperate. But timing. pretty much everything you like about that game was done in New Leaf, and New Leaf yep. kind of did some things better. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was much more social. I don't think they ever got the multiplayer in the franchise mm-hmm. as done well as they did in this game in the series, but it's such a peaceful, calm game. Yep. It is It is the opposite of most games. It is the game where you just chill and are peaceful and calm. And people don't and- come in to fight you. They come to hang with you and give you stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they don't come in to ransack your village. Yeah. They technically Diana, <laughs> if Ozu had made a video game, he would have made Animal Crossing New Leaf. Ooh. And then up next, we have Tekken Revolution, a free-to-play Tekken game I'm not sure, even sure I ever heard of uh, that came to PS3 and it was discontinued a couple, like I think in 2017. As far as I could read, very much pay to win. Yeah. And that's kind of... An, a, a, Anyway, but then also the big one, The Last of Us, finally hits PS3, like right before the PS4 comes out, and does what uh, gamers probably remember. It's just hard to think of this as 10 years old, because like they just remade the first game, there's only one other game, and now it's a bona fide phenomenon outside of gaming, which is crazy. I don't think any, any game has been that successfully adapted, to, but that HBO series is amazing, and it nails what I initially hated about Last of Us. Let's go kill these zombies! First, you need to sneak through all these fascist, weird white people in this building because the show and the game are not about. I remember having to tell a kid that, like, well, who do you kill most of in The Last of Us? And, like, people. I'm like, why? Who else is left? And, like, The Last of Us. Like, we're fighting for the scraps of everything. And the cordyceps are there as adversaries, but they're very easy to avoid. Humanity, not so much. And that's why I think the show works so well. It, it does a Walking Dead thing a little classier than uh, the, the show did it. 
I think the reason this has the one of the best adaptions of video games of all time is because it's one of the best video game stories of all time. Bit. The people in this game talk like people. Yeah. Most video game dialogue is person A talks, person B talks, Stay frosty. back and forth, back and forth <laughs> in a very robotic way almost. This is natural. You know, mm. people talk over each other. People miscommunicate. People aren't paying attention. It, it's filled with so many lovely touches. You know, having Ellie be born after the apocalypse. So the pre-destroyed world is like a All dream to her. And she has so many mm -hmm. questions about it mm -hmm. uh, is, is some of the best parts of exploring this world. And it's a perfect mechanism to do that. Yeah, yeah. And it'll hit PS4 in about a year. Dang. And that's the one I played. And then, uh, yeah, the, all we have left to do is tell you who died and who lived during this. Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Bunch of extra shows over there. Listen to Video Game Apocalypse this week. We're talking about the weirdest Street Fighter characters ever made in addition to some new releases and some news. Make us your new favorite video game. If you love eight-hour podcasts, you'll love Video Game Apocalypse. <laughs> Die, where can folks find you? They can find me on the Twitter at ListenAnerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Coming up next week, goddamn summer, man. They're just going to keep rolling along. Uh, we, we've got probably the biggest budget zombie movie of all time. Mm. We've got a follow-up to a, well, I guess it's a prequel to a beloved Pixar movie. We have what Jar yeah. mentioned as... Uh, the guy who tries to go up against Jurassic Park and its legacy is not quite. Yeah, it it didn't it didn't go well. Even though it's like the biggest the biggest guns they could throw at Jurassic Park doesn't quite work out. But it's a fascinating movie. I really want to talk about it. And then uh, a movie that actually comes up when they were talking about what the Superman folks were talking about, like what should we do? Should we address Superman Returns? Should we like just move on? And they said no, we can discount it. Well, let's let's do what Marvel did with their own movie that they just pretended never existed but we're going to talk about an auteur a goddamn auteur oh, making right. a superhero movie <laughs> that is very heavily debated mm. whether or not it's a smash or not <laughs> good one JR. Uh, also next week sir isaac newton albert einstein and the actual stephen hawking will all play a game of poker together <laughs> we will get a sequel to Literally the best NES Disney game of all time. Oh, shit. Now you know what it is. Yeah. The Phoenix will come to order. Mm. And the year of Luigi begins. Hey. Whoa, that's 10 mm. Jesus Christ. Die, who died? Uh, well, we lost a bunch of people. Uh, this uh, 1993 is when we lost former Texas Governor John Connolly, who is 76. He's the guy who was sitting in front of JFK mm. when JFK was shot. And then uh, it turned out recent, more recently, it came out that he was running around the Middle East uh, trying to convince him to hold on to hostages before the 1980 election to hurt Carter and help Reagan, mm. which kind of sounds like treason to me. <laughs> anyway. In 2003, we lost uh, William Marshall, who's 78, who's the star of Blackula, who is a <laughs> full-on Shakespearean actor. Yeah. And this is what you get stuck doing. When Why you did Dracula name him that? Oh, my God. Blackula. Coming up what? next, Blackula, Blackenstein. Blackenstein. And then the Blunch Black of Bloat Your Blind. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it sucks. It wasn't fair. He deserved a better career. Uh, Anyway, also 2003 lost David Brinkley, who was 82. He was TV news guy for more than 50 years, the Huntley Brinkley report. Mm. And uh, this week with David Brinkley. And uh, here are the ones that hurt me. We we lost the dads. Mm. Everyone's dads died. We lost Gregory Peck, who was 87. Uh, Obviously people most remember him from To Kill a Mockingbird because it's like the best casting and best performance like ever. Godzilla, baby. Godzilla. You're thinking Raymond Burr. I am thinking of Raymond Burr because they both played <laughs> they TV. nothing alike. I know. No, they both played about? TV cops or some shit for a long time. Uh, wait. No. 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 I'm confused. Keep You're going. High. You're just high. Yeah. Gregory Peck. My God. So, Gregory so Peck. many good movies. Mystery Science so Theater many. Space Invaders. Yeah. Yeah. Space. Right. Um, whatever the fuck that was called. Maroon. Marooned. Yeah. But also, like, he did a bunch of hitchcock movies he did a bunch of westerns he he was all over the place he's an interesting guy and the best uh, name of any human being ever it's a good name yep and also he was no no the next like hollywood's dad yeah he was like hollywood's dad where he really was just like when something goes wrong he's like damn it you made snow white sing at the oscars and that was embarrassing and everyone apologizes sorry and then Yes, who's older than 87? A guy who was old like his entire life. I've seen him in movies from the 40s. I can vouch for it. Hume Cronin finally passed away. He was 91. Mm. He's best known for co-starring with his wife, Jessica Tandy, and stuff like uh, Batteries Not Included. Batteries Not Included. (sighs) Stuff like that. Another guy who's in Hitchcock movies. He's in uh, Lifeboat. He's really fun. Another uh, uh, Batteries Not Included, an amazing story from Twilight Zone director Steven Spielberg turned into a film. Mm-hmm. Patreon to console mm-hmm. later time. Listen to us talk about it. But with those out of the way, GR, what do we got? We got the birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. A ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Turning 60. Born June 9th, 1963, in Owensboro, Kentucky, the youngest of four children, moved frequently in childhood. He was given a guitar when he was 12 and played in various bands. He dropped out of Miramar High School at 16 in 1979 to become a rock musician. What the fuck? That's where my parents went. Oh, my God. What year? Uh, He tried to go back to school two weeks later. But the principal told him to follow his dream of being a musician. Jesus, sorry. What type of principal tells that? (laughs) Like one who doesn't want to fill out paperwork. Either he's a terrible (laughs) student or a great musician. Maybe he saw it. Yeah. Okay. He went to the band The Kids, which then became Six Gun Method. And he had to do a job as a telemarketer during this time period. Hmm. He failed at being a musician. (laughs) And went on to say, despite his success, he considers himself a failed musician. Fuck. Movies of his we've talked about include Billy Platoon. Bob Thornton. No. No. Cry Baby. Johnny Depp. What? Johnny Depp. Yes. Johnny Depp. Oh! Wow! Oh! Benny and June, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Edward Scissor's Hands, uh, Sleepy Hollow, and Coming Soon, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, and Captain Jack Sparrow. Oh. <sighs> yeah, Johnny Depp is uh, one of my top favorite actors, and I feel the need to not say anything at all right now. 
And that concludes our show, patreon.com slash lasertime. Hope you enjoyed it. Give Brett Elson a thank you for joining us. Consider becoming a patron. Bunch of extra shows. We're going to close out with Flaming Lips. She don't use jelly, which you've definitely heard because their album is out 20 years ago. 30 years 30 ago. 30 years ago. When, when, yeah, when the Flaming Lips got really popular in the early 2000s with like Yoshimi versus the Big Robots, I forgot that they were the same Flaming Lips. That oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but no, she don't use jelly because they've been around that long. Uh, yeah, I fell in love with him with the race for the prize. What a great video. All right, we'll close out the flaming lips. Thank you so much for listening. Patreon.com slash later time. We'll see you next week. Thanks it goes. She'll make you breakfast. She'll make you toast. But she don't use butter. And she don't use cheese. She don't use jelly.